0: (laughs) Oh, good lord, really?
1: (laughs) Hello there! You are listening to the quarter to three movie podcast for Edge of Tomorrow. (laughs) White Snake fucking kicks ass. I know, right? Well, and Tony Catine, of course.
2: Oh, that's what I meant. My
1: name is Tom. Yeah, well. Yeah, she upstages. I just, the just chicken the video totally. Yeah, she totally upstages the dude. you like, I don't want to see the band. Sure, Tony Catine jumping around they, on they,
2: like, the car. They're her backup
0: singers. I always think it's you know? Fury, wasn't some.
1: Mm. Oh, dingus. You're mm. so classically oriented. Um, wasn't there a movie with Tawny Catane like a like some space adventure thing where she's in super skimpy outfits? It's kind of like a yeah. Tawny Catine Barbarella. Kelly Wand, you should know this.
2: I would. Wasn't I'd there? Like, uh, uh, science fiction. Uh, I don't see that show.
1: I thought there was. Well, know, like, like, a like A of Pauline*. No, like of Pauline* in space with Tawny Catane. Maybe not. There's Listeners, one? write in. Let's let's talk about that movie, whatever it oh. is. Let's look it up and see that. No, you know what? Let's talk about Edge of Tomorrow.
2: Imagination? The one that you're just let, saying. Let me introduce just,
1: Okay, yes. No, it's not in my imagination. I know this existed. We'll get to that later. Let's actually, I want to introduce you guys first, because there's folks listening, who I have no idea who you are. My Ryan. name is Tom Chick, and I'm here with Christian Malinsky.
0: Uh, actually, uh, I'll, I'll just be known as the Demon of Tahunga for this podcast.
1: <laughs> and with our Edge of Tomorrow tagline, Kelly Wand.
0: Uh... If they wanted a soap opera title,
2: Days of Our Lives would have made more sense. <laughs> Actually, all of them would have. Dynasty, that would have made sense. Do you yeah. know
1: what the, uh, the uh, novel is called that it's based on, Kelly Wan? Here's uh, what... When, oh, all You Need Is Kill.
2: All You Need Is Kill.
1: <laughs> <laughs> How's that, how is that going to sound? Do you think that's a better choice than Edge of Tomorrow?
2: It's also a Japanese novel, so you're not saying it right.
1: You know, you're, you're right. I bet yeah, in the Japanese true. it sounds probably a little it, clunky. So All You Need honestly. Is To Kill.
0: All you need is kill! Oh, God. <laughs> see, then just, Why did you have see, to do that, done. Tom? You did see, that on purpose. I
2: was trying to make Tom do it, and he just lobbed it back. Just,
1: uh, just real, real quick, because I know this is a, a big summer movie, let's briefly talk about trailer things. There's a trailer now for uh, the new Transformers movie. Um, I'm happy to watch that trailer. There's no way I'm going to see the movie. Uh, and it's one of those things where it starts with Mark Wahlberg saying... Uh, hello, AMC theater goers. So you know he had to sit in a booth and say it for all yeah, these theater like things over and over. And then he says, please enjoy this trailer from for Transformers. And then it also has like interviews with him where he says, yeah, it was really awesome working with Michael Bay. <laughs> yeah, I'll and, bet. And you get the sense that they're trying to head off some of that Morgan Fox thing where she later talks about how he's Hitler. <laughs> like they want to get all the <laughs> actors on record as saying he was awesome to work with. So – they have Mark Wahlberg doing that. Then they flash to the actress in the new Transformers movie. I don't know who she is. I don't think anybody knows who she is. Her little intro, cause it says Mark Wahlberg, Transformers star, her little intro is on for like literally half a second. Like it's not even time to read it. And her quote about the Transformers movie is...
2: Can I guess? Sure. Uh, she compares Michael Bay to Churchill.
1: There's not – there's way too – you're giving her way too much dialogue, Kelly Wand. When, Shit. when you, you want to briefly show this actress and have her just say something quick, get her out of the way so they can show Transformers blowing up or whatever they do. Her observation while she's sitting in that little folding chair that they sit them in and they film them, her observation is it literally blew my mind. <laughs> Wait, that's hot.
2: <laughs> well, yeah. That's yeah, – how good – I mean what she – Oh. It's that girl, like the daughter, or something like that leggy farm girl.
1: Oh, maybe that's it. She's not his love interest, she's his daughter. Wait, you watched it. You would know if that's her, I think. I don't think in the preview they make clear the relationships of various human beings to each other. No, no, but it's that actress. right? <laughs> it's the, it's whoever the ingenue is in Transformers. Yeah, I don't know. She it literally blows her mind. She says, it literally blows my mind. Yeah, she's talking about I it. I think it was in respect to working with Michael Bay. It literally <laughs> blows her mind.
2: I'm hearing literally a lot used like that, like, by people I consider not smart,
1: but... You know what, Kelly Wan is a generational thing. Kids these days, with their, their, their newfangled... They say... They don't know what anything means.
2: YOLO doesn't make any sense either, because you say It's something that they say right before they do something dumb. So if you only look at <laughs> stupid and felt like jump off a cliff, like that's a dumb time to remember
0: that. Right, right. But little, uh, literally uh, it's now morphing because of usage into being accepted, into being used that way, the way nonplussed is and, Maybe for you, Dingus, know. but I
1: will not stand for it, and I—I well, won't, I, I
0: won't stand for it either. I'm just talking about stand how you know yeah. how the Oxford English Dictionary. Will no,
1: go ahead, Dingus. Be, a, mo- be uh, a poor usage apologist. We don't
0: mind. Ooh, I'm a poor, I'm a poor usage explainagist. I'm not apologizing. Uh, <laughs> I.
1: I, uh, I also want to better. know.
0: Oh. oh, I was going
2: to say, uh, Edge of Tomorrow motto should be "Yadolo." <clears throat>
1: Doesn't only. Work. Why wasn't that your tagline? Because I didn't think of it yet. All right. Well, glad we got that squeezed in there. You sucked for saying that too late. Right, what were you going to say? I also want to know, this falls into the category where a movie, like there's a movie called The Reef, where some people, The Reef. they're stranded in the water and there's a shark. And the movie should be over in five minutes. The shark would eat them and that's the end of the movie. Why isn't that found footage movie about the tornado also over in five minutes? How are they going to draw that into... A 90-80-minute movie, even. It's kids with a camera, a tornado hits them. That's, that's five minutes right there. What are they going to do with the other 75 minutes?
2: Mm, I like that shot where the cars are... Whoa,
1: whoa, whoa, whoa. I've not watched the trailer. Don't spoil it.
2: Wait,
0: I thought you were... This was the trailer talk section of... Can't what they it swim into that supermarket
1: that has the sharks and do some shopping? <laughs> See, no, no, Dingus, you're, you're making jokes, Dingus, but there's a reason that the movie... The movie is called Bait. It's where a tsunami hits an Australian town, and people trapped in a supermarket. The supermarket floods, and sharks swim into the supermarket, but they're trapped on the top of the shelves. So there's that's a reason that it lasts for more than five minutes. Is they have a place to hide from the sharks. Um, <laughs> okay. So, Wait, uh, that's doesn't you know,
2: that
0: could be said. You know, I guess they have tall shells. But at Costco, it's like like a Noah flood. Oh, they could live forever in Costco. Imagine if they got caught in TJ Maxx. Didn't all those clothes? Clothes. Didn't all those clothes?
1: Uh-huh. <laughs> at any rate, so okay. Other yeah, regular <laughs> observations.
2: That should be the motto for. whatever we saw can't remember all of a sudden but anyway tom you said how can they make a five minute or i mean a 90 minute movie out of a five minute premise and then i told you it's got cars spinning and then you said like that's not even i
1: do not want you to tell me about the trailer i have not seen the trailer i'm actually looking forward to the movie i like the concept uh but i just don't know why it's not a five minute movie
2: why do, all movies should be five minute
1: movies. No, cause you can, you can, you can delay getting killed by the, by certain things, but a shark or, or a tornado, or if you're in the open ocean with a shark, there's no reason it should last more than five minutes. Well, Jaws. You're not in the open, you're on a boat, Kelly Warren. I don't know if you've seen Jaws. They're on a boat. That's why it lasts more than five minutes. If they were Ouch. imagine Jaws where, where Brody, Hooper, huh? and Quint are just dog paddling in the middle of the ocean. Jaws the movie would have been much shorter if that had been the premise.
0: Well, without the Annapolis speech, it would have been shorter.
1: What if too. the What if the shark,
0: if there's only one shark, what if it has, like, ADHD and he just loses interest? Maybe there's <laughs> thing that swims.
1: All right, I
2: like but that. there's going to be a really cool Annapolis speech in the Twister movie. It was in the trailer. So.
1: <sighs> Quit spoiling it for me.
2: Well, no, it's like a Twister-themed Annapolis speech.
1: All right. What I mean that. <laughs> Dingus, what trailers have you seen lately? What did you What did you get to sit through?
0: Uh, I actually got to my movie at the very last trailer.
1: Once again, Dingus kicked people out of the theater. By the way,
0: I had to kick people out of my seats because I, you know, because <laughs> theaters
1: around here and I, they were just they were really nice. They, we thought you weren't showing up. And I said, Well, well we you, you should explain too. It's assigned seating. It's not like you. Have yeah, decided. it's
0: not like I just walked up and like opened my switchblade and said move. It's, you know, yes, it's reserved seating in a lot of these theaters. Yeah. So I don't even remember what the what the right. stupid – it was a stupid trailer, though. There's plenty of those, dingus. Yeah, that's a good point.
1: All right, well, then uh, let's actually talk about one of the reasons I'm always happy to see a movie like Edge of Tomorrow is because I'm tired of having to close my eyes during the dang trailer. Now I can see them, uh, although they stop showing them when the movie comes out, so it kind of... <laughs>
2: then it annoys you. Why don't they show the trailer? Well, after, I, I,
0: after the movie. I went, to, uh, I went to my kid's pool party today, and uh, and one of the, the dads there knows that I, I'm into movies, and he's like, oh, so what have you seen? I said, well, I saw Edge of Tomorrow. I, I've never heard of that. And I said, well, it's a pretty big science fiction movie that's happening this week, Um he goes, well, I I don't know what you're talking about. And I said, well, it you got a lot of posters. It's Tom Cruise. And he goes, oh. And I, and I said it has like a big. And he goes, oh, is that the one with the tagline that says, uh, eat, die, repeat. <laughs> eat is one of the is the first part of the slogan for. Yeah, because I think he slogan. was he was conflating with the, with eat, pray, love. Um, right. Said, That's an interesting. The actual poster says live, "live, die, repeat," and I said, "No, it's not. It's not eat, die, repeat." Is that that one with Julia Roberts where she keeps repeating the meal? And what he and what he said was, "It's just. It was must must have been hugely, just terribly marketed because I don't know about it." That's what he said.
1: Is yeah. he the bellwether for what <laughs> he said? You know,
2: if I
0: don't know about it,
2: <laughs> everyone should be fired from every marketing. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, is what is this movie, and how would you talk to this guy about it without spoiling anything
0: for him. Well, what I actually said to him at the time, and this was totally off the top of my head, uh, what I said was that this week we saw Edge of Tomorrow, mm. uh, a 2014 American action science fiction movie. <laughs> that, you said all that to him, and he was still... Yeah, he was eating a huge slice of watermelon, so he wasn't going to interrupt me. Um, uh, action science fiction movie about the Alpha and the Omega. It was directed by Doug Liman. And written by Christopher McQuarrie and Jez Butterworth, ampersand John Henry Butterworth, based on Hiroshi Sakur- um
1: I'm sorry. Go ahead, start, take two dingus.
0: Uh, sorry, based on Hiroshi Sakurazaka's novel, All You Need Is Kill, as Tom okay. told us earlier. Okay. Okay. I just love that his name is Sakurazaka because the word Sakura means cherry blossom
1: in Japanese. Do you know uh, that from Lost in Translation?
0: No, I know that because my favorite Japanese restaurant in my college town was called Sakura, Ah. and we all knew that it was called that because it means cherry blossom, and my town was within striking distance of Washington, D.C., which has a great cherry blossom festival. So it's Hiroshi Sakurazaka, and his novel is All You Need Is Kill, which I translated to All You Need Is To Kill in my
1: notes until Tom corrected me. Right. It's like a play on a Beatles song I'm
0: guessing maybe (laughs) all you need is kill yeah that's good I like that don't you think I mean Uh, now that you say that but it didn't occur to me when I was writing my notes but well done Tom you win because you're such a Beatles fan you win this uh, this exchange well done awesome it stars Tom Cruise Emily Blunt Noah Taylor Bill (laughs) Paxton and (laughs) Gleason oh Mm. I thought it was him Edge of Tomorrow is rated PG 13. For. Yes, dingus. Intense sequences of sci fi action and violence. Language and brief
1: suggestive material. What? What yeah, was that? Kelly <laughs> wanted suggestive, suggestive material. It could have suggested anything, it could briefly suggest a war, a global war. It's, if it Wait, briefly that's... suggests that. Suggestive. Wait,
0: global war is a thirteen-year-old concept. We all know what the brief <laughs> suggestive material is. Come on. How, doing a push-up. It's no. It's how many times? Have you tried everything? You know, every avenue. Oh, wow. yeah,
1: that's, I guess that is brief.
2: Yeah. <laughs> all right. Yeah, that's that's dialogue. That's not even what it's
1: suggestive can, dialogue.
0: And dialogue what? is material. I hate to tell you. Bambi's mother. Uh, had sex to get Bambi, okay. and that's implied. How so. dare you? Bambi was a virgin.
1: Yeah, well, well I don't, yeah. yeah. So, and, and his mother. Bambi was a virgin <laughs> birth. I'll go <laughs> you one better there, guess Bambi's mother did not have sex. She died pure. That's right. Everybody knows that. Yeah. Whoever, that, way,
0: whoever that buck was in the woods,
1: F him. And I apologize for spoiling Bambi to any listeners. Sorry. Thank you. I tried to read the book one time. Edge of Tomorrow opened at <laughs> number three.
2: What? Oh no way! That, I, that, 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 behind. Uh, oh that. wait, is it uh the cancer movie? Uh,
1: but she's killing Woodley. So insensitive. Uh, it opened behind *Fault in Our Stars*. Kicked ass this weekend, by the way, and I couldn't be happier for Shailene Woodley. Um, uh, it made something. I don't have it here. It made something like sixty million. But oh, *Fault in Our Stars* huge opening. Thank you, tween girls. By the way, that's awesome that you did that. Uh, and then number two was Maleficent, and number three, at a really disappointing uh, 29 million, was Edge of Tomorrow.
0: I can't um, believe it. I can't believe it
1: opened at number three. I Can't believe it. Um, well, we'll get into a little bit. Yeah. Right. Uh, critically speaking, on Rotten Tomatoes, it's at 90. percent A lot of people, if you if it came down to you know, this is the measure of whether or not it was a positive review. 90 percent of them were positive. Let's see how you know positive. Else? Yes, Kelly Wand?
2: That X-Men movie really was uh, 92,
1: wasn't it? I don't know. We could look that up. If you like. no. yeah, I think a lot of people like that as well. Uh, on Metacritic, which is the average rating from various reviews, it is at 71. Hmm. Which literally blows my mind. <laughs> Kelly Wand, I would like <laughs> you to give us a synopsis of uh. Edge of Tomorrow. Maybe, let's let's come up with a name for this synopsis. How about The Edge of Tomopsis? Yeah,
0: because I like that. I like
1: that. Yeah. It stars Tom Cruise. There's a play of that.
2: oh yeah. I didn't even know. It's <laughs> a <laughs> so happy coincidence. Wait, that's in the movie title, too. So it sounds like our opsis co-opted the Tom part.
1: I know, right? <laughs> I imagine they were very happy at the casting for that very reason. I uh,
2: thought you were claiming credit for it, but maybe I mis- misheard you. Edge of Tomopsis. The news is all. Fucking aliens are attacking us again. Get out the mech suits and battleships. (laughs) Tom Cruise is a major for a PR firm. He talks on the news about how awesome mech suits are. His specialty is not knowing where the safety is. The chick he was married to in Oblivion's now a war hero, but she's a little butch except when she does push-ups, so people don't like her and to face posters of her by referencing a Stanley Kubrick movie, and possibly your next. Tom Cruise flies to London, sits down in Klaus Maria Browndale. <laughs> God damn it, Tom. Stop laughing while fumbling. Bad taste.
1: Nice to see Klaus Maria Brandauer still working.
2: (laughs) Tom, he sits down in Klaus Maria Brandauer's office and goes, you're welcome for the mech suits. Brandauer's all, hey, I want you to lead the invasion of Mara. Your president said it's cool. Tom Cruise's all, paper cuts make me bleed. Since aliens invaded Earth, I worry a lot about paper cuts. Uh, My mech suits are kind of useless when it comes to them. I don't know why he would say it like that. I didn't have time to really rehearse much. Anyway, Tom Cruise continues, wouldn't getting someone who knows where the safety is be better? The guy arrests him, and just so he can't cause any trouble, they give him guns and a mech suit and put him in charge of a critical assignment. Landing on a beach. I guess he's not in charge, but still. (laughs) Bill Paxton's the sergeant of the British Armed Forces. He's all, All right, you maggots, playing cards in bed. You know how I feel about gambling, you PG 13 epithets? <laughs> sir, I was just playing solitaire old mate, sir! Did I ask you for your opinion? When I want static from you, you limey crowd, I'll shoot you in the head. Now you'll all eat these cards. You know the rules, except you, Cruz. Since you're an officer, you'll be enjoying dice and gnip gnop for dinner. Do you copy me? Wait, I guess you would say hear me. Tom Cruise is all. What's a maggot? After Sarge leaves for Reveille. <laughs> Good naturedly, Hayes Cruises character with joy buzzers and double penetration. Since the mech suits are too clunky to walk in, the next morning they get aboard an exploding plane and jump out attached to cables.
1: <laughs>
2: that seems like a weird way to deploy mech suits. <laughs> they do everything but land. Um Then they fall thousands of feet, but luckily a ditch with two inches of water breaks their fall. The soldier who doesn't like wearing pants or underwear brought tape and a claymore with him on the plane. So he could tape it to his chest. He's ten for ten with this technique. I touch the nine-year-old beside me in stage whisper, In my day when high school girls did that, they used Kleenex. Claymore guy stands up in the mud and goes, Eh, check out this tape. Aliens eat him. Tom Cruise sighs, flags down his oblivion wife, and goes, hey, I'm a major, but is there, like, any battle plan here or anything? PG-13 is kind of hard to tell who's winning. Also, do you know where the safety on my gun is? I think I invented these, but I wasn't listening. She's holds that button on your left thumb. Oh, this? No, your left! He shoots her. Aliens surround Tom Cruise and squirm around. He picks up the Claymore, goes on one knee, offers it to the head alien, and goes, we surrender. Everybody blows up. That's what I saw. Tom Cruise wakes up screaming. A jeep runs over him. It honks and keeps going. He wakes up screaming again, rolls out of the way of the jeep, but it veers towards him and runs over him again, honking. He wakes up, rolls the other way. While he's giving the middle finger to the jeep, the plane from Final Destination lands on him. A <laughs> little one for Tom there. In his 38th life, he finally manages to make it to the mess hall, shuts the door, leans on it heavily, uh, wipes away sweat. He grins at us. His head explodes. On the 39th time, he makes it into the barracks. He's all, okay, look. Your name's Felcher. You're bald. That's a bed sheet. I'm wearing handcuffs. (laughs) Do any of you know any physicists? (laughs) (laughs) They tape the claymore over his mouth. In the plane, he's all... (laughs) He's all... The tough soldier sitting across from him is all... Sarge, what's he saying? What's he saying? I can't tell because of the claymore. He pisses his pants. The peace smell inspires Tom Cruise. He goes on to negotiate a peace treaty with the aliens, becomes a hero, and eventually dies of old age. Then he wakes up and the jeep runs over. <laughs> <laughs> See, because he died. See, he's all goddamn it. After a few million more things, he finds the garage where his Oblivion wife hangs out to dodge CG and goes, "Hey, I'm having trouble staying dead lately." She shoots him. <laughs> After the 10 millionth time this happens, he gets a job at the nearby bullet factory and replaces all the bullets with paintballs. Then he goes back to the garage, folds his arms cockily at her and goes, I'm having trouble staying dead lately. She shoots paintballs into his eyes. He's all, ugh, it's fucking minority report all over again. Hey, I saw your vandalized face on a bus. She's all, yes, I know. Look, I'm not a scientist. But when you blow up every millionth alien with an untaped claymore, you can time travel. Just make sure nobody puts human blood in you or it stops. Probably should have mentioned that to the nurses. He's all, wow, I sure hope the aliens don't find out. Yeah, they do know. They just want to give us false hope. Oh, wait, what? But we're going to... Tra- <laughs> We're going to trick him by montaging you into the ultimate weapon. Now, how many fingers am I holding behind my back? He's all three. She's all yep and shoots him. <laughs> finally, after another million years of this, he finally goes into the barracks, throws the sheet off the cards, and goes, All right, I'm in handcuffs. Listen to me. No matter what I do, my wife from Oblivion keeps blowing up in a helicopter, this barn. So, to trick the continuum, I need all of you guys to help me invade Finland. I think that's where the pet alien's at. I forget why. Chocolate mousse sighs and starts to tape the claymore to his mouth. But Sarge is all, let the kid talk. Tom Cruise is all, I was done talking. They infiltrate the Finland water center and blow it up. Tom Cruise is all, perfect timing. He starts to drink from his canteen, but then it's out of water. He looks at the exploded water center and goes, Ugh. <laughs> Anybody bring any water? When you have infinite lives, uh, hydration's key. Sarge is all. Hey, Cruz! I thought you said there was a head alien here, maggot. Tom Cruise is all. Yeah. Sorry. I think I got some bad intel. Hang on. He shoots himself. He runs into the barracks again. He's all, guys. I'm from the future. Cards into the sheet. Sarge's boner. Stinky's a robot. Anyway, I had a vision that the head aliens actually in the Louvre. Aliens love Louvre. Ready? <laughs> <laughs> they're all uh they blow up the louvre the wife gets hit by a jeep afterwards he leans over and goes too bad no alien blood got on you huh she's all my middle name is your knees crushing my vagina tom cruise tricks the head alien by doing his war of the world's grenade trick without the butthole He wakes up in the opening credits. A newspaper blows into his face. The headline's all The future never happened after all. Aliens are declared saviors of the city. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to do that every week for the rest of my life. I don't give a fuck. (laughs) Fuck you, Godzilla. He goes into the garage to the Oblivion (laughs) wife and goes, Uh, the end.
1: I'm sorry. No, no, that's exactly what I wanted, Kelly. Okay. That was lovely. Thank you. All right, who wants to go first? Volunteers, you maggots. (laughs) Uh, I'll volunteer. Dingus, get up here. Tell us what you thought of this movie.
0: I'm a major, so I don't have to. I'm an officer. Ha. Boom.
1: Dingus, I'm busting you down to a private, but you're still going first. Go.
0: (sighs) Darn it, I'm a private. Am I private private cage? Because private cage sounds awesome. I'll be that.
1: Do you know why his name is that in the movie, by the way? Uh,
2: Because he's nicholas's son
1: uh in the book the character it's a japanese young guy of course in the book uh his name is keiji KG, right it's a japanese name KG. and oh. they are the american gis that he interacts with call him cage because uh, it's a it's a it's their version of his name KG. Uh, why in the japanese novel
2: does mm-hmm. it take place in verdun and the louvre and all that shit
1: well its uh yeah, i don't know actually i do not know the answer to that um but let's, uh, so let's let's All table right. that because I actually – what I know about the book, I was able to – I got from Wikipedia. That um That's
2: good enough for me. Which
1: is a great way to, instead of reading books, just read the Wikipedia intro. Well,
2: we could just see the
0: movie. Don't we say that.
1: See the- Kids are going to hear that, Tom. Oh, yeah, Sorry. Unless you're – if you're under 18, ignore everything I do. If you're under 18, go to bed. You shouldn't be listening to yeah, this. Yeah, what we, the heck are you we doing? We cuss. Yeah. All right. So, Dingus, I'm sorry. <laughs> I interrupted go to you. Bed. It <laughs> <this morning. laughs> uh, I don't care. Go bed. to bed. Take a nap. Go to bed.
2: Yeah. Good bet. For listening cool. to Tom Cuss, that's your punishment.
1: Let <laughs> get in here. What did you think of this? Regardless of your rank, how did you feel about this?
0: Oh, I loved this movie so much. And if you, if you shoot me in the head right now and I wake up tomorrow, I'm going to say it again. I love this movie so much. I had such a great time seeing it. And uh, I was so surprised. I mean, I had no idea what it was going in um, other than the, the poster, Lived I Repeat. Uh, which gave me a little bit of a clue, and I wish I hadn't seen that, but I didn't watch any of the trailers, and I didn't have an idea of what was going on. It was so weird watching early on um, Tom Cruise acting like such a coward in an action movie. It was so exciting and weird, mm-hmm. um, and I love the way it developed. I love... Uh, I'll talk about all the things I loved about it,
1: but I'll just come right out and say I loved it. All right. Kelly Wan, where do you stand on this film, movie, flick?
0: Uh, I was... I was... I
2: kind of... I really wish... Uh, in my next life that this movie had had an R rating. I think it would have been even funnier. Um, But I'm (laughs) here with Dingus. I love Tom Cruise's character. I love that he just keeps making science fiction movies. I love... He's really great. He's... His his best movies all seem to be like where he's having a really shitty day. He's really good at that. I remember how grouchy he was in Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. And that kind of like winning me over to the whole movie. And... That's great. I agree with Thingus. Like
1: wow. Okay. Great. All right. Well, I'm going to be the stick in the mud. I didn't like this at all. I really disliked this. I loved Oblivion. Oblivion. I loved, I loved Oblivion. Yeah. I loved Oblivion. Was my favorite. Right. Right. Uh, I think they're very interesting contrast for a number of reasons. Um, but I, I really liked Oblivion. And by the way, haha! Oblivion did way better financially. So there. second Edge of Tomorrow. Um, uh, um, you know. I don't know. Haha.
2: Uh-huh. Yeah.
1: yeah. It's um, because it was too. Kelly. Wanda, no, Kelly. One. America has spoken. I don't... I think it was the title, dude. That title <laughs> makes... Because uh, I didn't even... I
2: agree with Dingus' friend. Like, I was like, wait, what's the name of it? Wait, that's the name of the Tom Cruise movie? Oh, like, about
1: you know, this movie, The Edge of Tomorrow. Yeah,
2: yeah. like, Oblivion's stuck in my head, at least. But Edge of Tomorrow, I don't even think... It's hard to forget the name of the science fiction movie. Like, Under the Skin...
1: Um, I, I think part of the problem is uh, it's a classic example of probably timing and marketing because uh, functionally I don't see as far as w- what kind of summer movie it is and probably its critical reception. I don't see much difference between Oblivion and Edge of Tomorrow. I mean, the, the fact that I really liked one and really didn't like the other has nothing to do with its box office performance. But I think Edge of Tomorrow is definitely a victim of some some marketing, maybe a little bit of like uh, it, it doesn't have enough of an identity expressed in the trailers. I, I don't know. Um, For whatever reason, it it definitely is not connecting.
2: Uh I love the editing and the pacing. Like, that really won me over. Like, Doug Lehman, like, he didn't linger too long on anything dumb, Mm -hmm. I thought. So that's, just wanted to throw that in there. And see, and that, like, that didn't woo you.
1: Uh, let's see Uh you know what the pacing for the most part I'm okay with but I really one of the big problems I had is this awful weird third act where they're going to assemble the wacky squad of yeah <laughs> go on a mission and I wasn't the least bit surprised to read that the script which was written by uh, two people named Butterworth I think they're a brother or sister I don't know but they're the, the Butterworth part of the script I think Christopher McQuarrie later came in and gave it a new third act um, uh, so what was
2: the- I, I well, you—you're gonna. Uh, now I'm curious what the book ending is because maybe they stuck to that, and you know what that ending is.
1: Oh, I don't know the book ending. I know that a lot of the things that after I saw this movie and had a lot of questions about. Well, why is this that way, and why is that that way, and why did they do this? A lot of it is apparently a draft of the script that wanted to be to hew more closely to the book. So some of the things that I uh. object to are things that they left in there because Fidelity. the Butterworths were doing a closer adaptation of the book that, as this became a Tom Cruise project, uh, evolved differently. So let me throw this out because Dingus mentioned this as one of the things that he liked. I thought the character progression of him being a weaselly PR guy to this super badass hero felt really weird because I didn't like him at first. Um, and he never really grew on me. I mean, I love – I think all of us on this podcast, especially me and Dingus, really like Tom Cruise. And I adore that last scene, and it works precisely because I like Tom Cruise. And seeing him there with that that sort of teary, wistful grin on his face when he sees that she's okay, and seeing her saying, what? She has no idea what's going on, but he's okay with that because he loves her. I love that last shot because I like Tom Cruise as an actor and because he can be so energetic and expressive. But – as far as his character arc in the movie, I didn't. It just felt so weird that he's blackmailing a general, and he's suggesting that he's trying to strike a deal with this general. And he gets busted. He basically gets thrown into a press gang, where he doesn't even. And they they put him in this big mech, and he doesn't even know how to turn it on.
2: And they don't tell him. All even that
1: though, felt really. The lives depend
2: on him too. And so all of
1: that, and all of that felt really weird to me. And I didn't understand this. And. Know. And I, what's, what's going on is that the script is, of course, about a young conscript, you know, a young kid who it's his first time in the military. Um, and so in order to make someone Tom Cruise's age star in this movie, they had to have some other device to have him start off incompetent, not knowing what's going on, and then through successive loops, time loops, becoming more experienced. Um, so that was one thing that just struck me as weird. I didn't like Tom Cruise uh, in this movie, as his character was written, all I liked was him as an actor. So, Dingus, you mentioned that you did kind of like that character arc. Uh, so, talk about why that worked for you or what you enjoyed about it. Uh,
0: I, what I love about that is uh, as as that opening progressed, and um, you know that that the cheesy stuff that he's doing early on as the PR guy who was once in ROTC, who tries to blackmail the general because he's really just about he's at that point he's just trying to survive. I mean, he's a he's a a kid who was in ROTC who studied certain things, and, and one of his lines is, I do this, so I don't have to do that. And he's used to being able to just get his way out of these things politically. He's used to a political world, and he's being outmaneuvered here. And what's awesome is when he gets into the situation where he realizes he is going to be in the shit, uh, he, the cowardly part of him just comes out. And Tom Cruise plays that so well. And I'm not I don't consider Tom Cruise in action hero movies as willing to play a coward, necessarily. Um, He's pretty solid in most action movies, and in some other movies he'll play wacky roles. But in action movies, he's he's not going to play a coward, necessarily. So watching him play a coward for the whole first part of this, and watching the progression, and you have to sort of make imaginative leaps as to the number of iterations or the number of permutations or the number of times that these things are happening so that he becomes more and more awesome. And what I like is that he's not immediately awesome he's not this super top gun pilot who can do everything right away because it was a natural he's a coward at the beginning and tom cruise allows himself to be seen as that as a coward at the beginning the whole first section of this movie is him being cowardly and being kicked around for it and then i love the character arc of this movie i love how he goes through that and i also love the third act where the stakes suddenly get Ratchet it up, because now when they get killed, it's, Ill, it's over. I mean, th- th- I love the way this movie deals with stakes and tension and the way Emily Blunt and Tom Cruise sell that. And I think the editing in this, which is done by a guy named James Herbert, is fantastic. I think th- this movie is one of the best edited movies I've seen this year. It's so beautiful. Yeah. So so just just going on what you said about – Uh, Sorry to just go off on that tangent, but uh, I love that that coward to to hero progression. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, So uh, here's another issue I had with it. I don't know if you guys uh, we all I think are huge fans of Emily Blunt as well. Um, I was actually borderline disgusted. With the marginalization of what should have been a very powerful female character. I loved her introduction, this idea that she was this huge war hero, uh, she meets him and you have this idea, oh, he's gonna, you know, she's gonna train him and, and bring him along and their relationship is gonna form. I hated how this became just a typical movie about like him saving her and wanting to protect her and she becomes kind of this damsel in distress thing, like he's not gonna let her go on the mission. I never, I was so excited at the prospect of seeing Emily Blunt as a super badass character, and I was just so disappointed as the movie went on how that just kind of melted and there was nothing there. She got to do a couple of cool action moves. Um but I didn't like I, I didn't like the way this movie treated its female character, especially compared to something like Oblivion, you know, which had very different roles for its female characters. Um and I also, by the way, uh, this is uh, this is something that uh, I found out afterwards as part of the the Japanese novel. The Japanese novel shifts perspective partway through; is it then sure. goes to her perspective? Um, and I wanted, as I was watching it, I found myself thinking, well, "Why can't we find out more about how she feels or what happens to her?" By the way, after she kills him, does she? Is it kind of like a uh, like is this a situation where her reality yeah. continues? Yeah. Um, and I was really. And I exactly right and I really resented the fact that her perspective w- was all w- completely removed from this and that as a badass character that I thought we were going to get that that didn't happen and that I felt well, she was, was her, kind of marginalized as just a, another routine love interest her perspective ceases to exist every time he gets killed how do you know that like is that yeah, do they say that do, we, uh, do, you, do they say that because I wonder if that's, that's, that's the, the
0: reality of the movie I mean i I can understand the idea of wanting to switch the roles to have her play the cage role and 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 see it through that way. But her story is the Battle of Verdun. And if we had seen that, that's a different thing. But th- the, the reality of
1: this movie is that that
0: ceases to exist because of what the okay, Omega so that's, does.
1: That's great. So then I don't find it the least bit funny or glib the way the movie did that she's going to pull out a revolver and quickly shoot him. If she is ending her own existence at that moment, I would have liked to have known that. And the fact that it plays it as a joke, I think further marginalizes this cool female character. You know, if she's going to pull out that gun every time, oh, your leg is broken, bang. Is she ending I, her own I, existence? I, I don't think so at all. Stuff. You know what that reminds me of? Kills you yourself know. next. That's well,
0: she, her, her line, why, why, do, why does it matter if I live? She's a soldier. I mean, when she's in the helicopter yeah. and they're in the helicopter scene, she says, why, what does it matter if I live? I think that's absolutely in earnest.
1: And that 's I mean, why I don't think it's funny to have these little moments where she 's going to in the montage repeatedly pull out a gun and shoot him. I wanted to know how she felt about that, what it reminded me of, and this is in a, another movie that has this similar mind building conceit, and I remember how huge a deal it was in this movie uh, in the prestige. When you think about what Hugh Jackman is doing to himself every night, that 's a huge reveal, and it says a lot about the character's psychology. you know that I, I wanted to know that but that 's kind of huge that Emily Blunt is doing that to herself. She's, that's what's happening.
2: She's also, she, you're also talking about someone, though, she had that same thing he did, and so she watched her lover die, like, what, 300 times, she says. So she's really jaded going into this. Yeah, like, exactly.
1: Well, she she seems to snap out of it pretty quickly to have her lover. And
2: she doesn't – and he's supposed to not – like, she doesn't know him at first.
0: And I don't think the glibness is on her part. I think that he – I think that the, the movie sets – what humor it does most of the time in those scenes on him I mean it gives him that moment of glee when he finally gets past the, the like that sort of checkpoint where he gets up past the truck and he runs past it and he smiles finally he hasn't been run over by the truck and and he he's he's what we have to make a mental leap about is how many times he's gone through this because every time she shoots him in those training sequences especially that editing sequence where it's maggot bang maggot bang maggot bang he's met her that day I mean, for her, that's the reality. He's meant for right, that right, day. Right, but, but, right, but And she understands world. that if she doesn't shoot him, they don't exist as a race. Right. And she's only doing it
2: once each time, Tom. Like, he's getting shot every time, but she only has to do it once because she doesn't remember the other
1: times. But right. she and, hinges, though, on that changing and on their relationship growing. And even, you know, we don't see – when we suddenly have him telling her, you don't talk much. We just watched her being chatty and talking, and like I don't think they earn any of that stuff where they're trying to develop this relationship between the two of them. Um, none of that worked for me. Like we're gonna magically then we're gonna go past the training montage, and now we're gonna have the little buddy road movie bit where they're driving around and he's telling her, "Oh, you don't talk much." And then we're gonna also yeah. get this little reveal about, "Oh, these are the things that she's apparently told him." It's just so dude centric, by the way. The, the the story of this movie is so centered on its action hero and the fact that Emily Blunt as the heroine and by the way we don't see her do much badass stuff I feel. Uh, true. She does she or him. And and I uh right. Well you know what I More but Exactly like and, and, and that's by the way one of the reasons that I am just tickled pink that this movie got beat this week by, <laughs> by, by by fault in our stars and Maleficent. Like, I feel that this is a standard throwback to, to like Hollywood. Hey, let's, let's, you know, let's just have the dude hero and the female sidekick. Um, and I, I was just really disappointed in that because the, the marketing, by the way, makes me think, oh, Emily Blunt's going to have equal time as this cool mech battle chick. And just as the movie progressed, I feel like it just marginalized her more and more. Uh, and that was a huge failing for me, this movie, because I love her. And by the time it was over, I was sort of feeling, oh, that's all that we're going to get with Emily Blunt. Uh, and I was just so disappointed in all of that.
2: I think maybe I just went in with lowered expectations because of, you went why?
0: in with I didn't go with any expectations. Why that, I didn't have she any have, problem with that stuff. Why so if, she? if they had simply switched roles, if she had played Cage and he had played for Tasky, would that have been fine?
1: No, it's a Tom Cruise movie, and that's one of my problems. Right? It's clearly, a Tom Cruise. No, movie. but I
0: mean, your your problem right now, what you're saying is that no, it relies on the female here.
1: character. I would I would have loved better. To and again, I don't want to say it should be more like the comic because I don't know what the or comic's not even comic. I don't want to say it should be more like the novel because I don't know what the novel is like. But when I went and read, oh, half of this book is told from the perspective of the woman. I just it was well. even more it, sort of disappointed at this movie. At the, the, at, that it is instead a Tom Cruise movie. Uh, that it, it's not. It, it, that Primarily, this is something to sell Tom Cruise to people. This is something that people will go see because they like Tom Cruise. And that they didn't have the balls, I'll say it, they didn't have the balls to make half of this an Emily Blunt movie. I'm just disappointed.
2: Well, now, I, I think, think expectations something. are too lofty.
1: Why? If, Why are my expectations lofty when Fault in Our Stars made sixty million? Maleficent made another thirty million this weekend. I think that studios should be able to do that. Make a woman, make a movie that that puts a woman in the same place that Tom Cruise would be. Why well, should oh, I, mean, I said
0: right. almost that exact same thing about previous movies not having the balls to make the female be the, the lead of the movie instead of the male? And I I mean, I, I agree with you on that sense, but for monetary reasons, I don't think Emily Blunt is going to open a movie of this size at number th- even number right. three, but and you say um, that
1: Dingus, can't. you say that on the weekend that Fault in Our Stars was Shailene Woodley, and this is partly anchored by how well Divergent did. That Shailene Woodley pulled in sixty million dollars. So, so Dingus, Dingus, normally I would agree with you, but I love. But I'm I, saying what you've said to me before. No, well. no, I would agree with you about the economics of that. It's economically a wise decision. I think that this weekend shows that maybe that's not necessarily so much the case anymore. That you can have uh, – that this movie really made a mistake by not putting Emily Blunt in a more – at least a better part, maybe not even to the degree of the novel, but by not giving us more of her and more of her but, stuff, having her in the driver's seat more. But, but or
0: just is, opening a Tom Cruise movie but that That has nothing week, to that. do with how much it makes, though. I mean, for next week, maybe. But how, however much it makes this week, does, I mean, because you thought well, – were going in to see more of her so you went buying into that so you're disappointed with that so the amount of money it makes has nothing to do with that
1: um i don't yeah i have no idea i'm just saying if you think that that the problem is that emily blunt can't open a movie as well as tom cruise i don't think Uh i'm not saying that's
0: the problem i'm saying that's the mentality so you might very well be right and in if i didn't like the way this movie went and the and and the the story of it regardless of the the sexism that you might be uh, talking about here. um, Maybe I would agree with you. I I just don't have a problem with this movie the way you do. And I don't think that the monetary considerations necessarily play into that.
1: Uh, Okay. Well, we'll see.
0: see. I don't think you're wrong, but I think it bothered me or Dingus. Like you hated it
2: and me and Dingus went, well, okay. But
0: uh, I, I don't, I don't understand how it's any different from the way oblivion plays out to be quite honest with you. I mean, uh, Oblivion
1: is basically about his relationship to two different women. I mean Oblivion yeah, yeah, and, and they're they, they're to and it, actually Oblivion turns out to be Olga Kirilinko's story. He he fades from the story, basically. <laughs> no he's, that's, I that's, mean she's nowhere near as powerful yeah. an actress as, as Emily Blunt, so there's that going for it. Yeah, but Oblivion like her. Oblivion is very much but, about his relationship uh, to the two women. But
0: Andrea Riceborough is hardly in the foreground in that movie. There's
1: another woman in the... I don't. Know, I mean, even the villain is a woman in that movie. I don't know how you could compare them. I mean, this, this is such a... Exactly, that's Tom Cruise's movie. I mean, this is such a... Of, yeah. Edge of Tomorrow is, is such, such a such, weird argument. Edge of yeah. Tomorrow is such a testosterone movie, Dingus. It's full of dudes. Oh, yeah. All the beginning is all this alien but oblivion. Dudes and, and even the one token Vasquez chick. This is a testosterone-laden action movie. Uh, it's, it's made to appeal to dudes. Oblivion is not that. And I, I think it's. it's oh,
0: just, that's certainly it's true. Oblivion is more soap opera.
1: It, Oblivion is about a guy's <laughs> relationship to women. I mean, Oblivion is about uh, him triangulating his position between these two women. Um, yeah. Oblivion's got this sort of romance angle going. Um, that's very different than this one, I think, where it just felt obligatory to me. Yeah,
2: but it, okay, it comes up short in the relationship with women department, but it's got funny physics jokes and stuff.
1: Are you talking about this <laughs> about Edge of Tomorrow? Yeah. So here's another problem I have with Edge of Tomorrow. This, this, this is it. seems well. Actually, let me ask you guys this. Real I'll time. tell you what I had. Why that. did Why did Emily want have a sword? I know. Well, Wildstar, too. All right. <laughs> it reminded me of the uh, a bunch of the, like, crazy things in, uh, like, Pacific Rim, where a robot would have a button you would press and you'd do it. Yeah, right. or Mimics. Why were they called Mimics? I'll tell you why they were called Mimics, Kellywan because in the book... Interesting, you should ask that. Uh, in the books, they, uh, were these things that crashed in the ocean and they melded their DNA with like starfish and then later toads. Oh, ah, that's so interesting. So they, they appropriated like these Earth DNA creatures and, and they were into, they're, they still look like aliens. They didn't mimic humans, humans or anything. But here, that's another thing. Why do they preserve the word, why do they call these things mimics? And that's what I was wondering. I love the idea that they talk about the aliens first. As if, yeah, we've all seen them, we know what they are, and we as the audience are like, Ooh, okay, cool. What kind of things are we gonna get? And I kinda like that production design they did with them, but the name Mimics made no sense. Yeah, that's Why would you keep that name just from the, and it's because yeah. I think this is, a, again, it, 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 an early incarnation of the script was probably much closer to stuff in the book, and as this got through rewrites and studio notes or whatever, you would get these vestiges. Emily Blunt has a sword because the female character in the book has a battle axe. Well, I assumed
0: so, she had a sword because... What? She, I, I assumed assume she had a sword because she wanted close combat because she was always hoping to come up to another alpha again I mean that that's what I assumed her sword was so that when she came up to an alpha she would be able to be close to it and go back through that and succeed this time
1: I, guess I feel so like, like you gave scents. the movie far more thought than the movie gave the movie I, like right. I do like that though yeah
0: well, that's, well, that was just my assumption. And her, at first, I thought it was a helicopter blade when she came out of that, or, the, or, or one of those blades from the thing that she was carrying. And then I realized it was her thing, and I hadn't paid attention to the posters early on. So I, I and then when once it became clear that oh, they have to bleed on you, I. I thought that that's why she had the sword. Well,
1: it's very Japanese too. Like a lot of this has the trappings of typical anime stuff, I think. Um and that's another thing. Like one another one of my problems and I will let you guys gush some more enthusiastically in a moment. Let me just throw this last one. <laughs> another one of my problems is I was really puzzled at some of these disparate elements. Like what's it why power armor? Why D-Day? We're gonna have time travel in here. We're gonna have the white
2: why is Vedic with everything that one day on the beach.
1: Like and why? and why why would you like what the, the the mechanics of D Day in nineteen back back <laughs> in the nineteen forties are very different. Were, right with, with aliens. Like, <laughs> right, and so all of that, like a lot of this, I was really puzzled at. And and so, Kevin, of I don't know the answer to if the source material also has this D Day and this reference to Verdun. I don't I don't know how much of that is in there. Well, um, I, it's wait, it is sort of a grab bag. And, and yeah, so a lot of that I also had a problem with, especially – and also, why so much weird rules-based stuff? Um, What what do you mean? Oh, my God, all this stuff about uh, uh, the the telegraph – the thing sends the signal – From this ball, which is the boss monster, and then there's the alpha, and its blood makes you time travel. But now it can't time travel. And pretty much any time that they got poor Noah Taylor to try to have to explain something, (laughs) I was going, "Wait, what?" (laughs) And they even pulled up that Prometheus-style briefing thing, and I was like, "Really? I I have to learn? Okay, well, you're learning physics. Let me try to learn these rules. And and it all comes down to he. And And they're physicists. I don't know. So anyway. It just felt a lot of like, disparate elements that didn't come together for me that I think a lot, of, a lot of it has to do with various drafts of the script being handled and changed and vestiges left over and third acts tacked on. Um, so it just felt very disparate. So what is,
0: what is your problem with the third act? I don't understand.
1: Oh, my God. So the third act, like, we've got the – uh it, it's this, like, we're going to do a dirty dozen thing. We're going to get the band back together. Not the band, but we're going to assemble these characters you've seen before who you thought were just going to be kind of left behind in the first act. And now we're going to go on a mission. And I'm like, okay, cool. I want to see some of these guys in action. And, nope, they die one after the other. They're just cannon fodder. There's no reason he didn't have to go in – alone. he couldn't have gone in alone. This whole goofy thing about – Jim-
0: What do you mean no, there's no reason? He, if he gets killed, that's it. For the entire human race.
1: He's not going to get killed. That's the stakes. He's not going to get killed. Come on.
0: Story-wise... if he doesn't go in with a squad right. and he gets killed, that's yeah. it. That's and, the
1: and all of the action right. And all of the action scenes the same as they were before. No sense of elevated stakes for me. Uh, obviously, he's going to kill the boss monster and resurrect Emily Blunt. I mean, this is this is a studio movie through and through. So he so might so as
0: well just well, walk on a sidewalk or roller skate. So mean, that what when they
1: are you talking no, about? So that when they bring in this this extra squad, what? Let me ask you this, Dingus. What did the extra squad help him do? What did they contribute to the action? They die. They, they help him break tomorrow. through into.
0: What do you? They they, they advance yes, go, him. Yes, yes. They advance him into the Louvre. <laughs> That's why they're there. Yeah. They, so they, they hold do. off the hordes right, so that right. he can start the hovercraft, whatever that thing is—the V-talk, the V-tell, whatever you that call right, those right. things—so that, that he can. I mean, you're going to dismiss every single thing, so I might as well not talk. But there's a reason that they're there.
1: I, I mean, to die. They're your ar- your argument is that it's a to Tom die. Cruise movie. He might, as- he
0: might as well be on roller skates. No,
1: you've absolutely, you've abs- absolutely made my point. Because they're there. To no, sh- I have not. They're there to hold back the hordes while he starts right. the, to die. the helicopter Disposable. to fly in and uh, kill the
0: monster. Right. That's why they're, they're
1: there. I know. It's, it's exactly what I'm saying. They're there no, to show up. Okay, they're there to show up and die because they're disposable. They're these wacky characters at the movie. They're shows. not
2: wacky. That's the thing. They're, they're not. they
1: really wacky. Come sorry. on. No, no I'm the, saying they're, they're just, not memorably. How does well,
0: it than Wax. everybody who died the, in Aliens? I mean,
1: there's the guy who actually speaks French, for instance. Uh, there's that, I don't know what accent she was doing, but there was the, I guess, West Virginia chick or whatever she was. They're there to work guy. They just show up and summarily die in CG action sequences, none of which mattered to me, and all of which I thought were, wait, really, to get to the Louvre, we have to, like, make a hover boat out of a crashed VTOL.
2: Well, they also all die every other time and don't do anything, so it's, like, wait. it is weird, that, like, guys, I know you guys suck ass on the beach, too, and every other time. But it's-
1: it's- Furthermore, so, by the way, and so, oh, let's have Emily Blunt die, too. The stakes were so Because it all
2: big. means nothing, because right, they're all
1: going to come know, out. Right, and then where all of it's going to be, there's no sacrifice whatsoever, except for the fact, and again, this is why I like the last scene, he is now back, you know, he's been through all this, he sees her, he's in love with her, she has no idea who he is, but he has saved her. Uh, like, all of that stuff, for, here we go, compare that with Oblivion, you know, he sacrificed oh, himself, there's a sense of sacrifice at the end of Oblivion, there's a sense that all of this meant something, all of this it, it, in the end of Edge of Tomorrow, these guys show up. They're just there to show up and die. She's going to die as well. Oh, but he's going to fall into the alien yeah. blood. It's fine. You know, that alien yeah. blood sex they,
0: they, Their lives, their sacrifice has saved humanity.
1: Oh, wow. That's and themselves. <laughs>
0: You, Which, you, you exactly, understand that that's what happens at the end. Yes, their, their I, sacrifice has saved humanity. And if except if, if, it's not if, a sacrifice because they're still because alive. they're all alive. If I, he I, had died, if they hadn't done no, that, just, he would not have made it
1: through, and humanity would have been destroyed. It's never that's the moment. idea
0: of the story. If he dies,
1: moment. that's the end of the movie. And there was never a moment where I was concerned that was going to happen. But you can not say that moment.
0: about any movie with an action hero. Oh. Uh, well, let's see. Let's see. Did or any he, impossible
2: mission. movie geez.
0: mission impossible.
1: Yeah. Did he make it to the end of Oblivion? Oh, he died. That's, yeah, I seem to recall that when he died. Yeah, <laughs> even though he had clones. And, and, and that's another thing, too, is the whole point of the early movie is this idea that there aren't any stakes so that when the movie. Exp- I totally it's,
0: it's, disagree with you. Yeah,
1: go ahead. You're talking about, no, he dies, he gets to retry. There aren't any stakes because he can try over and over again. And then they introduce that thing about, oh, don't let him catch you alive. Um, and then they, you know, he gets rent. And it's again, rules based. Wait a minute. If he gets a blood transfusion, it's over. So then that happens. And then from that point on, I understand they wanted me to think, oh, there's higher peril now. You know, something might happen. He can't reset time. And it, it, it was just so rote for me at that point. Those scenes felt no different to me than the earlier scenes, with the exception that I knew I wasn't going to see him waking up on those duffel bags handcuffed anymore. <laughs> but otherwise, the exact same kind of stuff, the exact same kind of action, him acting the same way. Um, none of that felt any different to me. Boy,
0: that's so weird, because the, that moment at the, in, at the, as the third act begins, basically, when he's I, lost the power
1: right
0: um
1: which is uh, like yeah like oh, go ahead sorry i interrupted
0: you that's right but, um that moment when he's lost the power I, and then they launch into the mission it was such a weird transition for me emotionally because i realized for that whole first section i should have been feeling what you were feeling that it since it's con- a constant reset it doesn't really matter but there's there were there were several things that offset that one is the overarching objective of sort of this like this overall game, that that they have to do this to save humanity. So there's this overall objective that lends this this underlying feeling of tension for me. That if he doesn't succeed at what he's doing and in every time he dies, that this sort of lends an overall tension for me. And then the second thing is the and I, I just thought the performances of Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt really supported that tension well. And then third and fourth, the editing and especially the sound design just created this feeling of stakes for me through all of that first stuff. I I just I can't disagree more with you that even though I think that I should have in the in that reset, that sort of video game reset thing that was going on. I should have felt like well nothing that happens here matters so I can just go to the bathroom now or or like, check my iPhone or whatever. I was interested in everything he was going through, and every every little training sequence he was going through. And then when he when he loses the power and goes on the mission anyway, knowing that once we once I die this time, that's it. I mean, that's for me. That was just oh my god! That really stepped it up. And I, I mean, I could have sat back and gone, "This is a Tom Cruise movie. I don't need to worry." But that's not what happened for me because I was in with the
1: character. All right. Uh, did you? <laughs> did you guys? So you guys were okay though. They like so. Which part I, was I okay with? Well, I do. She looked awesome by the way doing that little oh, yeah. yoga position. That they did. They got it. a lot of mileage out of that. The um, entrapment thing. Um, Literally a lot of mileage. Oh, entrapment thing. Nice thing. Is, uh, um, mm. But so the, I like this idea. This idea that you guys are selling that she didn't care enough to kill him every time. Um, and she the, therefore, she was really battle hardened. But I don't feel she was selling that as well as I think she could have. Oh, I thought she was way tougher chopping wood in Looper. Like <laughs> she was so badass in that. They she got. It seemed like she got a little too soft a little too quickly. What? Uh, and I just wanted her to be more badass. With it. For instance, at one point. And again, this is from the, the novels. Uh, there's a point in the novels where she's apparently uh, agreed to go on a trip with him, but she says to him, agreed to like help him, but she says, I'm only doing this because uh, when you get killed, I'm going to need the battery from your suit, and I don't want to carry it. <laughs> Which I love that. This completely mercenary, uh, badass chick. I feel like Emily Blunt lost that too quickly. I really disliked when they do the road trip, and they're having coffee in the barn, and it became this... You know, that was, that was like something out of a Born Identity movie um, it, where you have the little relationship moment. Uh, and suddenly she was like super soft there, and I didn't like her being that way. I missed the mercenary thing where she's going to just take his battery pack, and she doesn't care about him. But she, swi- she, she switches back immediately. I mean,
0: that's a scene where he's wooing her. You know, he's doing all these little things because right. he's been through this so many times. And, and she gets lulled. I mean, after what they've been through, and then I mean, she's already said, you know, yeah, I'll, I didn't I'll like listen that. to you. I'm going to kill you in
1: ten minutes. And then she, right. then she gets up and she's like, "No, I know what the right thing to do is. I'm getting in the helicopter. And that's it." Yeah, and and I mean, wasn't, I wasn't selling that she was. I, I don't feel that she was selling enough that she was. But it wasn't like they. Scenario. It wasn't like they lapsed lapsed into a, a, a silly lovemaking scene next to the fireplace. She, she said she snapped out of it. So you're okay with her to say? Didn't she kiss him before she runs off at the end? Yeah, I guess you do need that though. Before she runs off to die and lead the alpha away, they do have the kiss. Yeah. yeah I just I wasn't I didn't feel she was well, selling for me this badass chick that I think the script wanted her to be.
2: Hmm. Even infinite lives would make me a better shot. One two three, <laughs> not only you and me got one eighty degrees,
0: and I'm caught in
2: between counting one two
0: three uh, feet down with
2: three. That's that my way, say. Continue. <laughs>
0: uh,
1: this is, the, I think it was obviously a nod. Well, not obviously, but I, I think part of the frame of reference for that conceit for people in this movie. Like, some people might see this and think, oh, Groundhog Day. But I think a lot of the conceit, the, the frame of reference is that, oh, it's like video games where you constantly retry. Right. Um,
2: see, they're pandering to you
1: no because i think it's a little unfair because good video games don't do that anymore it's kind of a relic from when video games were crappy uh and and a good game won't won't do that to you anymore making you play the same content over and over um so it's kind of a dated reference it's a dated reference to video games
0: you still have to work through levels over and over again until you pass through them
1: Mm,
2: which ones though about angry birds Jeez.
0: Okay, Angry Birds. So are the, there are no levels like like having to get past the truck sequence and that kind of thing, and figuring
1: out the puzzle. I mean, he there to- are in, in bad games. Dingus. I, I think that that's oh, right. a relic of the way they, people used to do games. But some of the art of game design these days is figuring out a way around that, where you're not forcing the player to replay the same content over and over again and try something slightly different this time. There are still games like that to be sure, but I think really good games and some of the best things in game design going on these days work around that.
2: But the movie takes place in alternate reality where those games don't exist. <laughs> and Tom Spakes.
1: Cruise. What? Kelly Wan, let's have some ice cream.
2: Uh, I like this topic, but mine aren't any good.
1: Is it? Is it your 3x3 three three next week or mine? Or, or dingus, oh, I mean. no, it's, it's mine next week. It's yours this week. Tom. So Dingus, start us off with your favorite, your number three favorite example of ice cream in a movie.
0: All right, so uh, the quote from it is, okay, but I get to be on top. Hmm. That's his with, with nail and I. It is not. <laughs> it's, it's from the movie Big. Um, and this is a movie that has Tom Hanks in it, directed by Penny Marshall. Uh, and, uh, and there's two instances of ice cream in this movie that I love. Um, the... The main one is the this weird rappy song that he and his friends sing, which I will spare you the, the uh, and I will not sing it, but it 's this really cool like rap thing that the two of them do that that has the word ice cream in it and and one of the reasons I chose this one is that when Tom introduced the topic, he said i 'm going to give you uh, this topic' is going to be about two words ice cream and so I just remembered them singing that song. Uh, the, that starts, the space goes down, down, baby, down, down the roller coaster. And it has ice cream in it. But there's this, also this moment where, where Tom Cruise is, Tom Cruise, Tom Hanks is, uh, is eating a sundae. And he's, uh, he's the, Big version of himself, and he's just messing around with the cherry in his mouth, and he's just like blah, blah 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 blah, and he realizes he's being a total idiot because he's an adult now, but he's acting like the child that he actually is. And I love that moment where he's just uh, goofing around with ice cream in his mouth and big. I thought that was like little corn on the cobs. He was doing that with. He also does that at a at a corporation, at a meeting, at a like a a big party for his. PR, I think it's a marketing firm actually, and he, and he munches on little corn on the cobs as if they were like corn on the cobs instead of just eating the whole baby corn and, uh, and so that's funny too, but that moment where he like has the cherry on his tongue and he's like blah la la. I love that, and of course the, the ice cream in the song is my favorite.
1: Is Penny Marshall related to Gary Marshall? Oh my,
0: um, god. <laughs> oh my god What? Oh my is, god. That not
1: a, is that not a legitimate question?
0: They are brother and sister
1: uh, what is Big the best movie directed by a Marshall? Uh, some, would, some would think League of Their Own, but I think Big probably what? is. That's a sports movie, Dingus. No one cares about that. That's true. It's,
2: it's a reunion of Tom Hanks. And
1: Penny so, so Penny Marshall then has made a better Marshall movie than her brother Gary?
2: Well, well Exit to Eden's got some pretty cool shit uh, towards the end. What, what does?
1: Mean? Exit to Eden? Right.
2: Yeah. What, they go to the Bondage
1: Island? Uh, yeah, everybody knows that's the one with Rosie O'Donnell in Bondage
2: Gear. With the Dan Aykroyd. Oh,
1: God. <laughs> Isn't, though, the da- Dana Delaney and there's a hot dude. Yeah. In it. It's like they have the leads, but then they have the attractive leads. Um,
2: Dana Delaney's kind of cute in that movie. Yeah. And uh, then Moon Over Parador she's kind of good.
1: So Penny Marshall <laughs> has outdone her her brother Gary Marshall in terms of uh, directing. He a right. big. All right. I
2: don't know, Flamingo Kid's kind of good.
1: All right. Uh, Kelly Wan, what is your number three favorite ice cream moment? <laughs> it gave a stand a chance.
2: My number three – oh, the theme of mine was just like the first three I thought of. So, oh, good. I, I, I normally put more thought into it, but this time it's a little thin.
1: That works. Um, or does it? Let's find out.
2: Okay. Well, you be the judge. If, this is a sign of things to come, although I think one of ours will be a tie, Tom and Dingus. I
1: don't – well, okay. Maybe. I,
2: Really? Mm. Oh, wait. Uh, <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> have I forgot. We talk about it all the time. Too much.
1: Okay, well, wait. Save it for the 3x3. Three three. Go on. We're on the 3x3. Three three. I oh. know. Save it for the appropriate time on the 3x3, three three, I guess.
2: You didn't say uh, that, rules-based.
1: Good point. <laughs> Fair I'm point. Much. Point to Kelly Wand. I'll keep score. You have. Well, I'm about points.
2: to lose that point with my number three. <laughs> I might lose many points.
1: All right. Go on.
2: But here's the uh, the upside of this list is yes. that I feel so bad about it, even compared to last week, that I'm gonna like I'm gonna start to turn over new leaf. And, like from now, on, I'm gonna like put a lot of thought in my three by three choices. Like after
1: tonight, Kelly Juan, you give us a synopsis every week. We don't need a good three by three. Okay, plan.
2: well that was my logic too. <laughs> you but pay your dues. You pay your dues. <laughs> you guys sound so infuriated <laughs> at my three by threes of late that I felt kind of bad.
1: Yeah, right, well, let's find out.
2: It might be shit. Lops- my number three, um, scene involving ice cream is in Dukes of Hazard: The Beginning. Um,
1: not a movie, it's a TV show.
2: No, it's the sequel to the, whatchamacallit. Um, this girl April Scott as Daisy Duke is trying to distract cops and she eats, um, some pistachio mint ice cream and spills some on her boob and her stomach.
0: It's Wait, a- if, is it called Dukes of Hazard: The Beginning?
2: Yeah, it's like she's a wallflower. Like, oh, guys think I suck, and then she discovers. Why? By, let
1: me guess. By taking her glasses off.
2: She takes her glasses off. Correct. Yeah,
1: that, that'll That'll turn any chick into a hot chick, as we all know. Right. Chick without yeah. gla- chick who had glasses and takes them off instantly hot. Yeah. Uh,
2: what, who the, are the guy she's into is still not. He's like, oh yeah, you're still kind of cute, I guess. Like he's barely noticing.
1: Who are the dudes in that? Isn't that like Ben Stiller and Owen Wilson? Yes. Oh no, God. that's Starsky and Hutch.
2: It's Tom oh, I think it's right. and uh, oh, I didn't hear that. It's
0: who? Aaron Eckhart is uh, you're both. a you're, you're such a liar. It's Johnny Knoxville and Sean <laughs> Liam Scott. They were in the first one. I don't know who's in the one Kelly's making
1: up. Oh, this. Is, so there was a C, This. Oh my God, Kelly! Wow, Why? You, you dug deep.
2: <laughs> um, it was an April Scott thing. It's kind of
1: complicated. Who is April Scott? Should we know who she is?
2: She's the best Daisy Duke. She's better than Catherine Pog.
1: What yeah. else has she been in? What, what have what have mere mortals seen her in, Kelly Wand? Uh,
2: she's in a movie where she danced angrily. I forget the name of it. Who's, who was
0: Daisy Duke
2: in the first Dukes of Hazzard? Jessica Simpson. Uh, Jessica Simpson. How
1: could Dingus not remember that?
2: And she's way better than Jessica Simpson. Jessica Simpson blew and didn't literally blow. Well, <laughs> well.
1: Uh, all right. So, well, uh, wait, yeah. Did you actually watch this movie?
2: Just those parts, okay. In <laughs> my defense, uh,
1: this one is kind of a uh, I don't. I might be in trouble for this choice. So it it's it's kind of tangential to one of the characters. But the scene that it actually literally blows my mind is a deleted scene from this movie, <laughs> in which the characters have an ice cream fight which is the most embarrassingly awful scene. And one of the smartest things about this movie is that this was cut, and it's not there. But if you have the DVD of Phantasm, you can see an an ice Uh, cream uh, fight. I remember. So in Phantasm,
0: you're choosing a deleted scene. No,
1: no, 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 no. I, in Phantasm, one of the characters, a guy named Reggie, is an ice cream vendor. They call ah.
0: Him. Okay, good.
1: And he has an ice cream truck that he drives around, and that figures into the action a few times. And at one point, they put one of the compressed little grotesque dwarf bodies into his ice cream truck. <laughs> So that he can transport it. I think they're going to save it to show it to the authorities or whatever. And it, it wakes up in the back of the truck, and it trashes Reggie's truck. And then uh, uh Mike and Jody find the truck wrecked, turned oh, on its side, and then they open the back, and there's melted ice cream and a big old monster paw print with yellow blood oh, in the God. melted ice cream. That is it, fine. It really is, Kelly Wand, because you think – and and Reggie even, by the way, when they put the monster in there, Reggie even says – He's not going to leak all over my ice cream, is he? And he does. It does leak all over his ice cream. Um, so I forgot, and I'm really sad. So and he even Reggie in most of the movie has on this white suit that he's wearing when he delivers the ice cream. And there's an awesome scene early on where he's unloading ice cream, and the tall man walks in the background and responds with this weird kind of uh, blissfulness to the cold emanating out of the ice cream truck which, as you later realize, is because he's an alien from a different environment. Um, So I really like that one of the characters in Phantasm is an ice cream delivery guy. And there's even a scene where they're driving in the the truck for whatever reason – and I don't know, I would never do this, he's got the ice cream music playing. <laughs> like They're driving around at night. No kids Wait, are Wait, you would cup. never do that? Oh, I, I, that would drive me batty. Can you imagine?
2: I if I was an ice cream truck driver, Tom.
1: <laughs> no, not when you're, when you're working, you use the music to lure children to the truck and sell right, them ice cream. Right. right? But when you're not working, you would not want to hear that. That would drive you batty. So there's a scene late at night where when he's driving the truck, uh, he's got the music playing. And I'm like, why would you have that going? Turn that off. It must be annoying you.
2: He's literally driving you baddie.
1: Literally. So one of the Yes, go ahead, Dingus.
0: I was just gonna say in my old neighborhood, um which had a lot of kids in it, <laughs> we'd have these ice cream trucks that would just be these sad looking vans. Mm-hmm. Like like a like a regular white van that you would rent but with horrible just scratched sides and right. just
1: obviously nobody cared about the look of it. Yeah. Dead yeah. kids. Yeah. And and I just always thought, well,
0: that's gotta be a front, like for some money laundering operation or something. What is going on here? Well And it's... one one time one of them rolled through my neighborhood. I swear this actually happened. And playing on his loudspeakers was the theme from the movie Godfather. <laughs> <laughs> that brings me <laughs> It's funny. Did it literally roll through your neighborhood? It literally rolled through my neighborhood. It was just like, da 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 and I, and, I, and I just went, is that really happening?
2: But it's a wedding song that the Godfather appropriated. Okay. Because uh, they played at the Godfather wedding.
1: So that makes me think, because no one's going to pick this. I don't think it's way too obscure. Do you guys remember uh, how, how Steve Buscemi had his little run-in in Tree's Lounge? Yeah. You. I know, right? But he yeah. played the
2: music irritably, like. See, nah. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, Reggie's truck in Phantasm definitely not one of those sad things. It's not even norm- a normal van. It's some weird, cool, like it looks like some '50s truck with these kind of rounded edges and stuff on it. One of the great disappointments of the Phantasm series, and I actually watched. I couldn't make it through more than part of the second Fantastic. What movie. the second one rules? Bitch. No. It's so, so awful. <laughs> it is what? so awful.
2: Remember when he goes, things get hard on the road. That's good. Oh, he makes that shotgun. Did you get to that part where Reggie? Yeah, eat?
1: no, of course I've seen it before. I I, I recall the when I was a kid. the shotgun <laughs> is awesome, but it's just. I, I mean, of looking actually. Looking at that stuff now, it looks dopey. First of all, I forgot it was James. Le- I think I forgot it was James Lagro. So it's so weird seeing James oh, oh that young as the lead in a dippy horror movie. Um, but James Lagro's flamethrower is the stupidest looking flamethrower I've yeah. seen in a movie. Um, but wait, that's the one where the ball
2: gets in the mortician's yes, yes. mouth and, and shit,
1: and it's the Super Bowl version and whatever. I don't know. That's I mean, great. Come on, that's you know, none <laughs> Here's the here's the problem. And they go to the other place. Here's the problem with Phantasms 2, 3, and 4. None of what made Phantasm 1 good is present in those three movies. There is only a guy thinking that Phantasm 1 is good because of his characters that he's written, and because the balls are cool, and because Angus Scrim is creepy. And I'll give him that Angus Scrim is creepy, but he doesn't appreciate any of the cool stuff about, I, I'm afraid, Don Coscarelli doesn't appreciate in the sequels any of the cool stuff about the first Phantasm. I'm sad to say. Just as being as being a weird, dreamily paced, languid story about a kid uncertain about you know his parents being dead and these abandonment issues with his brother and the the freaky dreams like those dream f- scenes I remember being totally freaked out by in Phantasm one the stuff in the later movies was just typical like gotcha thing. they deteriorate
2: like I think two is still good. And it's like
1: oh, Well, two is way better than three, and three is way better than four. Yeah. Four is literally, yeah, literally made of leftover footage. Four is the saddest little cobble job of a guy putting together footage and trying to make something to release. Is
2: that the one where the tall man's uh, in the 1890s as an, ice, as an ice cream salesman or something like
1: that? Oh, that's a good question. I didn't know he was an ice cream salesman.
2: That, I know it fucks it up. It's I, it's not canon as far as I'm concerned.
1: Ah, thank you. Well, one of the things too that I'm disappointed at in Phantasm two is that they don't play on Reggie being an ice cream salesman anymore. Is that he instantly becomes a badass survivor? Well, guy. he can't keep. <laughs> well, keep. I, no, here's the thing. Here's the thing. They have that awesome Hemikuda in the first movie, and they are so in love with it in the second movie because it's cool. But I kind of wish that they had the – and I'll say it again – the balls to make them cruise the apocalypse in an ice cream truck on the tall man. I would have loved that. That just would have shown this clever sensibility that – but you know, that Hemikuda, I can't blame them for being in love with it. It's an awesome car.
2: What about the ice cream truck in Legion.
1: Maybe that's my number one, Kelly Wand. No, Thanks,
2: Thanks nope. Kelly. Legion's never anyone's number one.
1: Well, then, uh, Kelly Wand, maybe it's your number two. And if not, what is your number two choice?
2: My number two choice is in uh, the movie. I think it's me next. Actually. Oh. Yeah,
1: Kelly Wand, why don't you stop interrupting Dingus and let him tell us his number two That choice. was my number two choice, was whatever Dingus was going to say.
0: <laughs> Very good. So. All right, my number two has this quote, uh, You're making a mistake. That's well. That can only be from one or two movies. Um, (laughs) Uh, The the other, the little bit of dialogue is: "It's not our way; it's my way." So this is uh, this is uh, the first thing I thought of when Tom mentioned the topic, and the the one that stayed in my head all week long. I had I had a hard time coming up with other ones because I constantly this week had stuff on the periphery of my brain. I just had like little images of like dudes like, like trying ice cream for the first time or just right. people with, with little containers all around them. And I could not bring them into focus. It was so hard for me to do. That's um, nice. It's on the periphery of the cake. Um ice cream is never on my periphery it's one yeah, of my it's favorite it's things in the world uh and but this this is the first thing that I thought of and this is from the movie Witness um when oh, the yeah, that's a good one. When the hey, Amish the dude. Amish
1: don't have ice cream dingus how are they going to make it
0: they're not going to. They can't. They can only turn butter. But they're riding on the street, and it's it's this scene where uh, they're they're going down in their carriages, and the local tufts from town, because they've gone into town to to, to get some stuff. Uh, the local tufts from the town, led by some jerk. In a baseball cap, uh, are walking down the street with their ice cream cones and, and they stop them because they're not going to give them the right away. They're not going to let them go past their cars. And the, the main guy comes up with his soft serve ice cream cone and up to, to Alexander Goodenough and he like just, Smacks it on his nose and on his cheek. <laughs> I don't remember any of this. <laughs> and, then on his, and then they're right like,
1: dude, do it on the chin. Do it on the chin.
0: <laughs> and my so God. it's this awful sort of karate kid bully
1: thing that yeah, happens. who does that to Alexander Kudinov, though? Didn't they see Die Hard?
0: Well, he, he can't do anything. He's Amish.
1: And they, they know these... Wait, what, whoa, whoa, whoa. I thought he was like some badass henchman. Alexander Kudinov is a pacifist... Amish dude and witness. Yes. Oh right. my god, that's and, awesome!
0: And guess who else is in the in the in the back part of his very cart? Is Vigo Mortensen in one of his first? No, role. Dingus, now you're just pulling my leg. <laughs> and so, uh, so the guy, the the young tough from, because I'm sure these these townies all, all hate the Amish riding on their little clop-clop horses through town and clogging up traffic. So they mess with him, and he, like, smashes ice cream on Alexander Goodenough's face and then steps back. He's like, why don't you step down and deal with me? Because he knows, why don't you step down and deal with me? But he knows that they can't because they're Amish and they're pacifists. And, uh, of course, in the next carriage back is Harrison Ford undercover as, you know, an Amish person because he's on the lamb uh protecting uh, is it
1: lucas Haas? yeah i think it is.
0: yeah um, henry, no it's henry thomas. Uh, henry it's, thomas and lucas black Davis. also lucas black is also his younger brother. um and he gets really mad and his uh the guy who's taking care of him the older dude is like we don't do this just just don't do anything. and he's like i can't this is what i you know, and he gets out of the thing and oh, walks no, up.
1: Don't tell me, Dingus, does he, does he punch the guy? Is there of a course he up? does. He oh, punches I, him
0: several he, times and the guy's nose bleeds and he punches oh everybody down. Dingus, and,
1: you so endeared me to witness, but now that it's just another typical come up and so I don't like it
0: Wait, and, what's the, and then what's he say? The, the old, the old, guy from the ice cream shop is like, in all my years, I've never seen anything like this. And Alexander Goodenough goes, well, he's, he's from Ohio. All I think is he's my brother. No, he says he's 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 our. I think he says like he's our cousin from Ohio. That's kind of cute.
1: All right, I, yeah. I kind of still like it now. He's but from Ohio, I, Tom. Yeah,
0: he's he's not one of the Pennsylvania Amish. See? He's he's one of the Ohio ones, and that's a battleground state.
1: Uh, does Vio Mortensen goes, goes. does Vero Mortensen get any dialogue or anything? Or is he Yeah, just... he he gets to say a couple things
0: in like that that Amish dialect. I don't know what right. it's called. Sure. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, in, in Pennsylvania Dutch, he gets to talk. <laughs> Deutsch. Deutsch. So Tell anyway, me. it's, it's yes. that witness. I love that scene so much. But anyway,
1: It would be better, Dingus, if he punched uh, the guy and then put ice cream on his face. Mm. Said, see how you like it, Buster. Or peed on him. Well, Dingus, it's not that kind of movie. Of I don't course. know what kind of – Yeah. That The Amish would not do that.
0: That would be – if Dwayne Johnson had played that party
1: would have done that. I did like, by the way, how you clearly were doing your I'm Harrison Ford and I'm tough voice when you did the line er, before telling us the movie. I could totally tell us what you were going through. I
0: for. was doing that for you because I thought you'd be able to guess it.
1: I haven't seen Witness in forever. Uh, so thanks for reminding me about it. Do then.
0: you know who directed Witness?
1: Peter Weir, please. Very good. All right. Good Lord. Uh wh- <laughs> <laughs> Kelly Wan, give us your number two favorite ice cream scene.
2: Uh, my number two is in the movie Tough Guys when Kirk Douglas gets a job at 31 Flavors and then he kills a kid because the kid's like, yeah, I don't want walnuts. No, I do want walnuts. No, I want sprinkles. And then Kirk Douglas goes,
1: eh, ah, and
2: then just throws the ice cream in his face.
1: He doesn't kill him, though. Well, Uh Kelly Wan, I, I actually. Abs- I don't know what Tough Guys is. This is a Kirk Douglas
2: movie. Oh, yeah. Douglas. remember yeah. this. Burt Lancaster. Oh, my God, dude. Buddy, and Eli Wallach's a hitman trying to kill him. And there's when, a part where...
0: When was that? What year was that? 86. Yeah, I remember... I actually remember them marketing this, and it just seemed so sad and old and weird.
2: Yeah. Well, they're supposed to be bad at... Well, they... They take out some uh, street toughs who are breakdancing.
0: Because <laughs> <laughs> I remember Clint Eastwood came up with something called
2: City Heat, where he was supposed to be. The I like that movie. Guy. Yeah, I it. remember seeing that. I haven't seen it since I since it came out.
0: But, but, but I totally I remember, remember tough guys coming out, yeah. Yeah, it was weirder
2: to see Burt Reynolds and Clint Eastwood in the same movie. Like, that was, like, fascinating to me at the time. Like, what? Is this really happening? <laughs> but Kirk Douglas and Burt Lancaster were, like. Oh, and then they have to, they rob a train because they get bored being out of
1: prison. Oh, so they're, con- they're like, uh, ex. Yeah, they're ex. Cons. Right, and they. Uh, right. And then he's trying to go straight and just. He's trying to, like, live the straight and narrow and yeah. have a job as an ice cream guy. Okay.
2: And then uh, Burt Lancaster's bar is a now a gay bar. So he's like, ah, fucking. There goes the neighborhood, Johnny. And then uh, <laughs> Eli Wallach uh, is a blind hitman trying to comically kill them a bunch of times. And the first time they run into him, they trick him by...
1: All, all right. It can't be that hard to trick a blind hitman. But yeah, what's, what's their ploy, Kelly? The book, of you, the
0: book of Eli Wallach. He takes him <laughs> down. Hey, that's good.
2: That's pretty good, Dingus. Sorry, I was marveling at is quick thing they take him down the alley and then there's like an open manhole and there's like a sign that says don't walk in it and they like both pick it up as they keep walking because so he's like get down the alley and i'll keep saying shit
1: and wow yeah and kelly
2: what manhole then it doesn't hurt him at all like the next time you see him he's just like ah you and you manhole tricks johnny
1: uh do you know do you know who directed tough guys
2: uh it was penny marshall
1: norman miller peter weir
2: That was a big year. It was a bumper year for him, as we (laughs) called it back.
1: Uh, My number two favorite ice cream scene doesn't even have ice cream in it. (gasps) Uh, It does, however, capture the glee a child feels about ice cream. The movie is Close Encounters. I love that uh, the little kid keeps calling the UFOs ice cream. Uh, well, the last one, it's just, right. It's like a triangular shaped one. It's a vermana I think, as they're called in India. But there's this triangular shaped UFO. I think, isn't it? Like it looks like an ice cream cone. Is that the idea?
2: That's how they lure him onto the mothership
1: with ice cream. And yeah. that's how they lure. Them. Remember the cop
2: chases the ice cream
1: one like, and doesn't die. I don't think. But yeah, chases it. Yeah, up. they yeah. totally
2: die. Don't stop rewriting. Sorry.
1: Wait, no, do they? I would love that if that's true. Ice cream UFOs you know, kill cops, bro? No, it doesn't die. Doesn't it show them in the truck saying, oh, wow, that was wrong? I rock. think at
2: the end they come out of the ship in the, driving the police car. And then they go, Sergeant right. Patterson, uh, Adam 12, 1913. Uh, I would
1: love the idea, though, because I remember that scene. They drive off the cliff, but I'm pretty sure it shows them being okay. Like what? this was. That's, keep in mind, Kelly Juan, this was two years after Spielberg killed a 14-year-old boy and a dog in Jaws. Hmm. So maybe he might have killed those cops, but I seem to recall they were okay.
2: Why do you think that? Just because you told yourself that? Because there's never a cutaway.
1: <laughs> um. I, I tell no. It's because I tell, I tell
2: myself that. I think they're okay. It cuts to them going, "We're okay." Like you remember that happening. Well,
1: no. Here's family. no. Here's I think what's going on is that Spielberg at that point is is wanting to capture the glee of seeing UFOs, and that <laughs> that would be a kind of a dark thing to show somebody having followed it so intently that he li- literally drove off a cliff. Um, so it I, does, think, it I think explain. Spielberg it was smart enough to know that he's not wanting to make it dark at that point. It will get dark as we see Richard Dreyfus neglecting his family and leaving them. That will get a little Try dark. Penalty. But I don't think it shows the cops getting killed. I could be wrong. It does show either way. I just assume
2: they were killed.
1: All right. I would uh, love that if you're right. I would love that if you're right, if you just let that hang. I would have a lot then, of respect for Spielberg if he lets that be a possibility.
2: And then Barry sees the police bars, flashers on the car and goes, ice cream, and then jumps off the cliff and also dies.
1: Close Encounters is written by Kelly Wand.
2: <laughs> Peter Weir.
1: <laughs> Dingus, what's your number one favorite ice cream
0: scene in a movie? All right. Here's a quote from it. I'll have a butterscotch Sunday, I guess. Hmm. I
1: can start guessing things. that I
2: guess it's De Niro. Is <laughs> it, right. Let
1: me ask you this, Dingus. Is it uh, – I was going to say Margo. Is it um, – um, What's her middle name? Come on. Gwyneth Paltrow. What's her middle name? She doesn't have
0: one. Uh, it's Helen. What? <laughs> that's a trick question. I don't have one. You don't have one. It's Helen. That's my mother's name. I know. So, yes, it is indeed Royal
1: Tenenbaums. Oh, so I was wrong. She does have a middle name. He said she didn't have one. I was doing the Gene Hackman part. Is that what just happened there?
0: Yes, that's what happened. Okay. <laughs> um, so, And this is set in this in this weird old-timey ice cream parlor, um, and he wants to order their ice cream, and there's these dudes in their little checkered outfits, and he says, I want to order ice cream for my daughter here, and she says, I'm not hungry. And he kind of it's like, come on. And so she says she orders a butterscotch sundae, I guess, and people are all eating ice cream. And uh, so that's my favorite because uh, – mainly because of my association with eating ice cream. with my dad. My dad is an absolute ice cream – sorry to use a, uh, a term from Miami Vice, fiend. He – Miami
1: Vice, the TV show or the movie? The movie, clearly.
0: A, this is mission accomplished speech. Because he's a fiend for mojitos. But uh, my dad is nuts about ice cream and I've known this about Get it. him. All of my life, when he comes and he visits us, uh, I have to stock extra ice cream because it disappears immediately. Um, and we go out to ice cream several times with my son and my dad. Um, but uh, as a result, I love ice cream very much. And this idea of sitting down with your dad for like a sort of a bonding moment, as awkward as it is in Royal Tenenbaums, kind of struck home with me. So it's them in the ice cream parlor and Royal Tenenbaums is my number one.
1: I love that you picked that dingus because I'm about to make it weird. But I'm so glad you laid some ground. Up, so <laughs> I'm about to make it weird. Good. But first, speaking of making it weird, Kellywan, what's your number one favorite <laughs> instance of ice cream in a movie?
2: Tom, King of seg- Segways. I was thinking I want to get some of that cake batter ice cream. Fucking ate the shit out of that.
1: <laughs> Kellywan, snap out of your reverie. We're doing a three. Uh, yeah. Come join us.
2: Okay, that's my <laughs> alternate follow up. My number one. Oh, this is my only good one, Tom. You'll like this one. I'm a little. I'm a little. I'm going to make it where it's not one of yours. Because it's one of your. I thought you liked this movie. It's in the salt on
1: Precinct 13, bro. Which one? There's ice cream in that? It's not... No, I don't like Assault of Precinct 13. It it's was before... John Carpenter one. Right, It was before John Carpenter really knew what he was doing. It's, oh. a, it's an interesting relic, but I don't like that movie. Oh, oh I do know... Kelly One, that's perfect. See? I love that you've picked the scene. I don't like the movie, but I do love the scene, and it's one that... I know I was trying to think of scenes with ice cream. Okay, explain the scene. Yeah, what? I don't even know what you're talking about. Degas has never seen this
0: one. I, uh, I've only seen uh, the Ethan, Ethan Hawke one or whoever was in it. Yeah. Um... Assault
2: of Precinct 10, Precinct Thirteen is a siege movie. It's basically real. Yeah, up. what
1: precipitates the siege, Kelly? Wong. Right.
2: What precipitates the siege is a dude gets ice cream for his little girl from an ice cream truck, and then some tough shooter. So then he shoots them. And then the friends of the Tufts like, chase him to a police station with a gun.
1: Why does the little girl get oh, oh. shot? It's, it's a really gross. It's like, I mean, it's supposed to be gross. You're supposed to hate the guys. But it's a cute little girl with an ice cream cone getting shot. Right. Why do they shoot her? Is it just a, a they've accidentally, are they after him and they accidentally kill her? I forget. No, they're just saying.
2: dicks. I don't think there's any reason, but maybe I'm misremembering it.
1: Okay. But it's a start. It's like a really gross, like, I mean, it's John Carpenter. Yeah, no. This is the guy who would go on, of course, to make, to basically invent the slasher genre. Uh, and, and that's, you can sort of see, oh, the cut, I mean, it's a gross scene. It's supposed to be. And it oh, motivates yeah. the action, um, but it's and really it's an arresting so- yeah. moment. Yeah. It's basically, It. I
2: mean, what you just said is true, but it's like, look what all happens. Like, they all try to avenge her. <laughs> I guess they don't really know that they're avenging her. But like the cops, and like there's the criminal character who has to ban with the cops.
1: Right, they let him loose, and yeah, yeah. You know what? Maybe I do like Assault. I think his name's Napoleon. Yeah, it's good. So it's here's just, why I don't like it. It's because I really feel like um, um, Kurt Russell should have been in it, and yeah. anyone other than the woman who is in it, because she's terrible. Like exactly. here's, what, here's Assault on Precinct 13. Really needs to star Kurt Russell and Kim Cattrall. absolutely Absolutely not not. you guys never fail that's beautiful
2: (laughs) well let's talk about Tom's condition
1: (laughs) I love a little dialogue from uh, Big Trouble hey
2: we'll memorize it that's another of my new leaves I'm turning over between now and next uh,
1: good I I look forward to doing the scene with you at some point Kelly Ward Uh, no that's a good pick I do love that assault 13 pick yeah, because back then it was in the days where you would kill kids in movies uh, to – you know, I mean it's gross and you see it and you're like, oh, I didn't like that. But the, the movies weren't afraid to to stoop that low to provide character motivation. It's not even
2: stooping low. I mean, okay, it is, it's a cheap shot, it's, I guess. It's a it's cheap
1: shot. It's manipulative. Yeah, I know. But, but a movie can do that. I mean that's fair game. That's why you go to movies, I but think. But it's also like
2: – Okay, you're not rooting for these guys. <laughs> they just shot out a little girl with an ice
1: cream cone, yeah.
2: <laughs> right. So I hope they all die. Right. And then a couple of them die, and then it's like, All right, I want the dad to live at least, because he just lost his little girl horribly. So you're kind of rooting for him to live and I think he does yeah,
1: survive. Oh, no. oh, oh, he does. Oh, well, a lot of people die. Like it's Kurt Russell. I mean, Kurt Russell, no. uh, um, uh, John Carpenter is not shy about killing characters. Like he's certainly willing to do that.
2: But in the remake, it's like, instead of a little girl with an ice cream cone, it's Lawrence Fishburne as a guy who, you know, stabs people here with screwdrivers that they're trying to protect. And he's like a cool character, but it's like,
1: well, you can pretty. Yeah, you can't kill little girls with ice cream cones these days, Kelly Wand. I'm sorry. Why? I'm not hell? going to allow that. Because, Kelly Wand, uh, there are PG-13 ratings. There are ratings. Uh, it it great. De- well, ser- no, no. To seriously answer your question. It impacts the financial viability of a movie. Oh, Tom. If- no, it's true. If you kill a child. There you go. Don't, te- don't-, don't go, oh, Tom. I didn't invent Hollywood.
2: No, that was me pretending I was shit oh. all over. But I'll sell on PG-13 is what I would call it
1: now. Taliwan, that's beautiful. That was as good as Dingus's quip. Almost. I forget what Dingus's was now. You you lauded him for it and you've forgotten it.
2: <laughs> oh yeah. Blind Eli. Book of uh, Eli Wallach. Whatever.
1: Alright, my number one favorite ice cream scene, Dingus, I love that you mentioned the Royal Tanner Bombs one because that dynamic, a parent and a child getting ice cream, um, it, that's familiar to people, you know. The the adults take children ice cream, children love ice cream. Um, so one of my favorite variations on that scene and Dingus, I'll give you a line. And hopefully you're gonna go, Oh yeah, I'll give you a line from the scene. I know what you're talking about. Uh Wait, there's ice cream in it? Oh, yeah, you're right. That's a great one. So there's a movie called Birth. That's a great one. In which Nicole Kidman uh, comes to believe, and she's been told this, that a little boy who she's never met before is her former husband who died and has been reincarnated as a little boy. And the movie is about her struggling with this and whether or not it's true. And at one point, she takes him to get ice cream. And while he's eating ice cream, and one of the remarkable things about birth is this child actor, Cameron Bright, his performance. And while they're eating the ice cream, she's kind of – she's not needling him, but she's referencing this idea about, you know, you're a child, I'm an adult. You know, relationships are very different. Adults have certain needs that children don't have. And she's kind of dancing around this idea that, you know, if we were a couple, sex would be involved. And because I believe that birth is not shy about, it, about not being ambiguous in terms of whether or not something really happened, Cameron Bright has this very adult sensibility as he's listening to her talk about this, about sexuality. And he says, I know what you're talking about. And as he says that, I think he's got like a little spoonful of ice cream. It's this juxtaposition yes. of a little kid eating ice cream out of a Sunday dish, I think, uh, and this, this woman bringing up the issue of sexuality. Uh, I love that scene, uh, and I think it's a—it's even more – so. well, uh, it, you know, people get upset, or one of the controversial scenes, I guess, in Birth is them in a bathtub together. But I think one of the more pointed instances of that weirdness of sexuality in youth is simply her talking about sex while he's eating ice cream.
2: Uh, they're stupid to get upset about that, and they were clothed in that scene, and they weren't even in the same shot, I think. Like, they were shot different
0: days or something.
1: Are they talking about the tub scene in Birth? Yeah. No, you, absolutely incorrect, Kelly Wand.
0: Do you, what, or do you mean like in the reality of shooting the act? In the reality of shooting, I mean.
1: No, yeah. there's two. There, what are you talking about? You can see them both in the tub.
0: Mm, for some of it,
2: I know they weren't naked. And also, even if they were naked, it's still stupid to be upset about Right, it. right. It's fucking seeing their actors quit. Quit mud-
1: actually, new no, That is a fair point. Is there are ways they could have cut around whether or not they're actually naked? But if you watch the scene and you don't really understand editing, or you don't care one way or the other, you might think, "Oh my God, that child actor is naked with no." Oh, no, I'm. Th- if you're, if it's a good movie, you're
2: thinking, "Oh, that
1: character's in the tub with that character. I
2: don't give a shit about that stuff. Come on, what? They got the scene and right. the ice cream scene is good. And see, no, no one gets upset about it. That's, that's my point. Is like what you just said. No one cared. to sh- Gave shit about the ice cream scene.
0: I love that scene. I I love that you picked it. I I was kind of primed to think about this because, and this is going to sound totally stupid, but this is the way my mind works. Um, The guy who did the sound design for uh, Edge of Tomorrow is a guy named James Boyle, and he also did the sound effects editing on Birth and i I'd, I'd, <laughs> wow. i i know I, I know that's weird he that's he, did, he did batman begins and a lot of other things but i was thinking about birth and uh but i didn't remember that scene so now that you bring up birth i'm like oh wow, no, i just was thinking about birth a little few minutes ago that's awesome um but yeah that's a great that's a great and i love the, the way that you preempt you, you sort of gave us a teaser after mine because it is a really great perversion of what yeah. of my little story it's great that's perfect it's great
1: but it's not a perversion if you see the movie and you'll understand why. Yep. Alright, Randy Kennelly writes
2: <laughs> Wait, I <laughs> was just gonna say one last thing. Yes, Kelly wants. Yes. Phrase of your choice. Like she reacts the way you would yeah. if a kid said that too. Like yeah. her
1: reaction's really good. Okay, sorry. She's, she's really good. so good in that. And one of my favorite scenes yeah, of birth, like birth, by the way, is, is it's it's I don't know, it's literally like just a minute and a half of her sitting listening to the overture of an opera. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it's just yeah. Like, like Jonathan Glazer knows when to hold a camera on something. He is not going to just cut away for the sake of it. Yeah.
2: yeah, and when I saw that scene, I remembered you or Dingus. I think it was Dingus actually mentioning it in a 3x3. Three three. I went, oh, yeah, now I know what they were talking about for this yeah. part.
0: Yeah, It's mm-hmm. a great oh. movie. Okay.
1: Jonathan um. Glazer, hurry up, make more movies. We're ready. We're waiting.
0: Yeah, don't make us <laughs> wait another 10 years, please.
1: Look years. what he does with 10 years. I know, right? So, yeah, that's a good point. You know what? Take your time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Take 20. Randy Canelli writes, uh, in the order that they quickly came to me, number one, uh, he's order- numbering these one to three, so we'll just start at one, an early scene that ends with a tourist scoop of ice cream falling off his ice cream cone becomes a great little running gag over the course of the movie. I don't remember this running gag, and I love this movie, and it's from the movie Lilo and Stitch. <laughs> I didn't see that thing. Oh, no, no, it's a, it's a big fat sunburned guy on the beach, I think. And he keeps seeing wacky Lilo things. Is Lilo the girl? Oh, Stitch. I think Stitch. Stitch is the creature. Lilo's the girl. He keeps seeing wacky alien related things and he drops his ice cream cone, I think. Calvin's the cat. Thank you, Kelly Want. I always need help with that. <sighs> Randy Connell's number two. Uh, so as he quotes something said to Napoleon Bonaparte during his foray in, a, app- po- Sorry. Uh, in a local modern-day San Dimas mall after he pulses <laughs> off a massive bowl of ice cream in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure.
2: That's a great one. He burps.
1: And then Randy's number three Sorry. pick uh, is um, things said when a boy drops a Chocolax wrapper into a trash can, kicking off a musical montage of the adult suddenly needing to use the restroom. What? Huh. So an adult is fed laxative, and then someone drops a wrapper into a trash can, and there's a musical montage. I vaguely remember this. I would never elections. Nope. Iron Giant. Hmm. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, because
0: he works in like a soda shop or something.
1: I kept trying to.
0: Trying to think of like, t- like time travel things where like somebody from the past
1: tasted ice cream for the first time and I couldn't remember something. Oh, shit, uh, who else came up with that?
2: The roads got coke.
1: Arthur Giovanengeli says the topic made him really hungry and it caused him to request yeah, really too. great scenes. And here's what he came up with: Number three, the Muppet movie. Fozzie Bear buys a scoop of honey ice cream and a scoop of dragonfly ripple ice cream from Bob Hope. Dragonfly Ripple does not seem like an appetizing flavor, but I guess that's why they make chocolate and vanilla. Arthur Giovanginelli's number two pick, up. Carl, Russell, and Doug try to spot cars while sharing some well-earned ice cream after the completion of their adventure. A sweet scene, especially considering the earlier conversations between Carl and Russell, that serves the cherry on top of this masterful film. Mm. Written by Tom McCarthy. Mm. Arthur Giovanginelli's number one pick. I don't remember ice cream in this. The movie Moon. Dingus, do you know what he's going to say? I don't. Oh. I don't. Sam Rockwell and Sam Rockwell. So, oh, spoiler! By the way, sit in a moon. Sit in a I'm moon. Trying to remember it now. Yeah. Sam Rockwell and Sam Rockwell sit in a moon rover and reminisce about the first time they asked their eventual wife out on a date. They recall asking her to quote, "Get an ice cream cone or something dorky," end quote," and she responds, "Let's get a drink." I love this scene and how Rockwell captures the terrifying yet wonderful thrill of asking a girl out. Rockwell's performance throughout is phenomenal, and gets better with each subsequent viewing. Ah, oh, that's a great one. I love that. Yeah. Well I don't think getting ice cream is dorky. I just want to say. No,
2: I don't either. and, and oh that's great. Well, and getting a girl one's even (laughs) less.
1: Paul Weimer writes, three movies with ice cream served right up in a cone. Number three, Jean, played by Chloe Sevigny, obliviously eats some ice cream as her boss, Patrick, played by Christian Bale, considers killing her with a nail gun in American Psycho. She eats ice cream in that part? Apparently. I remember the nail gun. I do, too. Uh, Paul's number two pick, in It's a Wonderful Life. He says it's been too long since he did Grandpa yeah, Movies. That's a good one. He directs that to me. He says in It's a Wonderful Life, George Bailey whispers his devotion to Mary over ice cream at the corner drugstore. What? Why would you buy ice cream at a drugstore? That makes no sense.
0: But he also worked at the drugstore as a kid,
1: and he was he made shakes. Why would you make that's, shakes at a drugstore? It's ridiculous. That's, that's what they do.
2: That movie's like the opposite of Edge of Tomorrow.
0: Um.
1: <laughs> the blunt of yesterday uh, Paul uh. Walker's number one pick in City Slickers the face-off <laughs> during camp as Billy Crystal's Mitch overhearing their ice cream game challenges the ice cream moguls Ira and Barry to come up with the perfect ice cream to accompany a complex imaginary meal I went out, tried, and disliked their final answer, Rum Raisin after seeing the movie maybe I should have had the meal 1st
2: ha uh-huh, you saw City Slickers
1: <laughs> that's, exactly haha uh, you saw a Billy Crystal movie <laughs> uh, uh. Josh writes but I think what's really gone unsaid here tonight is this a quote I can't tell is the rarely plumbed connection between ice cream and male sadness what? Josh that's nice to lead off with that um, it's gender equal you say that well I, I, I don't think I'm scooping anyone I remember haha <laughs> <it, laughs> <laughs> I remember um, Tom uh, didn't
2: hear that. that's the weird part.
1: You know, Kelly, what I hate is when someone says a pun and then says no pun intended as if puns need to be called out. The best pun is left to the listener to find. It does not need punctuation. It yeah, up. no
2: one goes, oh, he said no pun intended. All right, hang on. All don't get right. credit for that. Anyway,
1: I remembered bringing up, uh, uh, I forget what the 3x3 three three was. There's a movie I hate called The Strangers where Scott Speedman, yeah. uh, it starts off with him being uh completely dis. Liv Tyler's not going to marry him. He he proposes to her and she's like, no, I don't think so. And it totally ruins his evening because he's rented a cabin for them to stay in and She's turned him down. Ha-ha, Scott Speedman. Suck that. Uh, So anyway, when it shows him in the cabin, uh, and he's all depressed, he gets a tub of ice cream out. (laughs) And she's Uh drinking the champagne, and he's eating a tub of ice cream. And I'm like, ha-ha, Scott Speedman. Enjoy your ice cream. (laughs) She's getting the champagne. Right.
2: Literally Uh, no pun intended.
1: Anyway, so John (laughs) – see, Kelly Wan, that's when you say no pun intended when one is not intended. Thank you. Uh Oh. So Josh writes – I like that he leads off with this – but I think what's really gone unsaid here tonight is the rarely plumbed connection between ice cream and male sadness. Since the TED Talk is still in beta, I'll just sketch it out for you in the form of a few scenes from movies. There are three main valences upon which male ice cream sadness functions – One can remain for years, even a lifetime, operating in a single valence, while another will progress through the valences like late Brando, progressing through... No, no, don't do that. Not now. Not here. Josh writes. First valence, Lilo and Stitch. Eh. A large, grimace-form male tourist is depicted dropping his cone of mint chocolate chip repeatedly without ever getting a lick. Although amusing to behold, beneath the surface... Witness a man trapped in hell, eternally (laughs) gripping a delight of which he may never partake. This is the plight of the average North American, forever sticking his tongue out for a lick at the middle-class Zion receding like a mirage.
2: Yeah, As it melts faster in the sun, because it's beach,
1: huh? Second variance, Monster's Ball. Billy Bomb Thornton will be fucking damned if he's going to eat his ice cream with anything other than a plastic spoon. At this valence, ice cream is a grim ritual of survival from which no pleasure is derived. Since it's Billy Bob, this is also known as the Asshole Valence. Third Valence. Oops, I feel bad. I scooped this one. Ugh. Kelly Kellywan, do you want to say anything? Get it? Nope. No pun <laughs> intended. Third Valence, Trees Lounge. Nice one, Josh. At this level... The asshole now roams around in an entire truck full of ice cream yeah. looking for women to traumatize with eye contact or much, much worse. Here, ice cream is like a potable, oh no, portable hell made all the worse by the fact that you, American male, have presumably chosen it. Steve Buscemi's presence here turns this would-be Sundance shit into the greatest horror movie of the 90s. Josh is not done. Fourth Valence. Ice Cream Man from 1995. <laughs> Tree's Lounge is actually Clint Howard's fever dream from this 1995 comedy, the highlight of which finds Howard's eponymous peddler taking an apple corer to the eyeball, then lazily pressing the cord chunk into a scoop of rocky road before serving it to a cop. This is known as going, quote, full ice cream, end quote. The whirling black hole of misery and madness that tugs at you each time you reach for a scoop. Be warned and beware.
2: I guess that cop got coned. Get it? No, no uh, pun,
0: I, no getting intended. I love the term "potable hell." I wish you hadn't corrected yourself because that is beautiful.
1: I did think that's what I was reading, and I was impressed. But I, you don't ice cream isn't really potable, though. You don't drink it, so. No, but hell could be. What's a valence? Literally. Uh, Isn't a valence like a vector?
2: I know that the circumference is like the valence times two.
1: Kelly Wand, no one knows what you're talking about, so I'm not even going to say get it. I'm not used
2: to that feeling.
1: No one gets it. Philip Torda writes, number three. Uh, we could actually I'm happy to explain to you guys that, that the earth does not have a single circumference I could get I that just right now. told your ass told you, told you. Philip Torda writes in his number three pick Witness the scene where some guy bullies an Amish by smearing an ice cream cone on his face causing Harrison Ford to administer a beatdown
0: where some guy bullies an Amish yep
1: <laughs> who did play the some guy dingus I wish we'd known that,
0: that I was- think it's Phil Paxton <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's, it was probably William Zabka <laughs>
1: Philip Torta's number two pick, *Pulp Fiction*. Uma Thurman orders a five dollar Martin and Lewis milkshake. Not ice cream? Yeah, I agree. Uh, Philip writes, "I love how John Travolta is skeptical at first, but comes around after trying it." Hmm. He does say
2: ice cream. He goes, "Yeah, he says that
1: ice cream. Ice cream is shot of bourbon." All right, right, I now accept it. Then Hmm. Philip Torta's number one pick. What do you think of this one, Kelly Wand? Assault on Precinct 13. Boom. Literally. The unforgettable scene in which a little girl gets gunned down on camera because the ice cream man gave her a vanilla cone instead of a vanilla twist. (laughs) Dave Perkins writes, Huh. Michelle doesn't eat ice cream unless the current surface temperature of the Earth is close to the surface temperature of Venus, which contrasts sharply with the fact that I treat ice cream consumption and the surface temperature of the Earth as independent variables.
2: Mm, well done, Dave. She's not a male sadness.
1: This not only proves that the Earth has more than one <laughs> circumference. In fact, it has upwards of 1,100 of them, but also that I will be, quote, going it alone on this 3 by 3 Dave Perkins, number three pick. The awkward scene at the diner in Little Miss Sunshine, featuring the line, delivered gruffly by Alan Arkin, Olive, Richard is an idiot. I'd like a woman with meat on her bones, end quote. My favorite acting moment in the scene, however, comes in the line before, where Olive's dad says the word fat the way people say cancer, and then reaches across the table at her with an apologetic gesture as he says she can stay nice and skinny, sweetie, if she doesn't eat ice cream. The poor little girl. Thing is she to... word. Yes.
2: She went. She was talking about a uh, of colleague, and then at the end she went in this exact time. She went, and she's she was never married. That's not. It... That's whisperable. Right.
1: Right. Well, sometimes. She was older. Kelly Wan, Dave Perkins' number two pick. He writes <laughs> the torch being held by the obese Statue of Liberty in the animated <laughs> mode. The torch being held by the Obese Statue of Liberty in the animated movie The Triplets of Belleville is replaced by an ice cream cone. I don't remember that. I love that, Dave Perkins. I don't remember that either. either. Uh, In Her Other Hand, he writes, The Declaration of Independence has a hamburger on it. I think this is a commentary on something, Dave speculates. Dave's number one pick, Wow! and he claims, again, I want to remind the listeners, Dave Perkins claims not to have had help from his wife on this. His number one pick? He writes in the prince's diaries, Anne Hathaway takes takes a big bite of ice cream that is too big, and it turns out to be so cold. She starts waving her hands around and making noises like a monkey. The rich people all around the table start to stare at her. It is so funny because we are all on Anne's side in this caper. She's supposed to be learning how to be proper, so we all laugh in a nice way at her boner.
2: Wait. Uh... Uh, I I prefer uh, women with a little meat on their boners.
1: (laughs) Uh, David Henderson writes, hey guys, I have three pics from the ice cream parlor scene in Girl Interrupted. They are in chronological order. In this scene, Whoopi Goldberg takes what seems to be about eight days on a day out from the psychiatric hospital. Number three, Angelina Jolie flirts with the shy server by leaning over the counter and slowly listing the decorations for her Sunday while she is licking a maraschino cherry. Ew. Jolie stretches the word, and, and the server dumbfoundedly asks, nuts?
2: Oh, I thought it was Whoopi Goldberg.
1: Everybody laughs at her. He should have just purred like Kelly Wand. (laughs) Aw. Huh. Number two. While the girls are enjoying their ice cream, a woman played by Mary Kay Place confronts Winona Ryder about Ryder's affair with Place's husband. Does anyone have the relationship? Is this Beetlejuice? Angelina Jolie comes to Ryder's defense and yells at Place. In this scene, one of the girls is watching the argument intently, but she doesn't stop licking her ice cream cone. Ice cream is so awesome, you don't stop eating it, even when people are arguing in front of you.
0: Kills at it,
2: please. It's, getting, it's melting.
1: Kelly these are all from Girl Interrupted. The number one pick...
2: <laughs> That's the who wrote these?
1: Uh, Dave Henderson. This is Dave Henderson. His number one pick from Girl Interrupted. While Whoopi Goldberg is breaking up the <laughs> argument, Mary Kay Place's daughter is so stunned by it that she lowers her own ice cream cone in front of a seated Brittany Murphy. Murphy <sighs> slaps the daughter's hand and says... Get that out of my face, asshole.
2: Get what is in your cone out of my face. Take what's in your hand.
1: Kelly Wan trying to quote the Sherlock Holmes trailer about a year and a half too late. Absolutely not. Uh, Dave Henderson continues, We do not get to see if the ice cream falls on the floor or not. Perhaps it is too precious. He then adds, Dingus will appreciate this as much as me, and Kelly Wan won't really appreciate it as much. Probably. Dave Henderson then adds, By the way... Clea Duvall was in this 1999 movie, so I understand why being in 2000's How to Make a Monster was a step down.
0: Yes, she was. She was great.
1: Speaking of great, great. Aaron the Great writes, that's his email, that's the thing on his email. Don't look at me, it says Aaron the Great. That's official. If Gmail says it, it's true. Aaron the Great writes, Dear QT3 3x3, here are my three choices of movies having to do with ice cream. The most pure and innocent movie prop, Ever number three wait a minute, this is two movies number three, Shaun of the Dead slash Hot Fuzz Aaron writes can we do ties? well I am both of these movies feature an inadvertent scene of Simon Pegg and Nick Frost eating ice creams in a moment of reflection these scenes introduce ice cream so quickly that they're guilty of making me wish I had some on hand to enjoy with the movie
0: guess they're also guilty of copying themselves
2: Sounds like a moment of confection, no pun intended.
1: None taken. Uh, Aaron then writes, uh, that's right, Tom, people enjoy these movies. So Dingus, I guess that goes for you, too.
0: What was the movie? (sighs)
1: Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz. I
0: enjoy Uh, uh, Shaun of the Dead. Hot Fuzz is two and a half hours too long.
1: (laughs) And it's not even two and a half hours long. Ouch. (laughs) I think I like that
0: one. Lethal Weapon is funny enough. I mean, come on, Jesus. (laughs) It it, it, it would be a funny (laughs) skit. The first on.
2: one Lisa weapon one's funny enough Lethal
1: I'm, weapon is uh, crap. I'm waiting for Simon, I'm waiting for Simon mm-hmm. Pegg and Nick what? Frost to do a spoof of top secret. I think that would be an awesome that would sure. yeah, that's a good point yeah uh Aaron's number two pick uh up when the old man, the boy, and the dog enjoy an ice cream at the end of their adventure, racking up car colors. I feel like this is something I did a lot as a kid in summer, since the best way to enjoy ice cream is in the seasonal furnace of a Midwest afternoon, although we probably counted girls in swimsuits or something. That's a good one, Aaron, but uh, they're a little too young and uh, it, to be carrying girls in swimsuits and up. So, cars.
2: Girls in swimsuits are like ice cream.
1: Mm, I don't know, Kelly Wand. I, That's cute. Um,
0: don't him. ask him don't ask yeah. him.
1: <laughs> All right, let's go to Aaron's number one pick. Uh, it's from thank you for Smoking. Uh, Aaron huh? writes I never I never joined Debate club, but often I wished I had especially when scenes like this where Aaron Eckhart is explaining what it means to win an audience, not an argument. This scene took ice cream and made it more than a special treat. It made ice cream right
2: because he ate it correctly. I actually don't remember
1: the scene. I don't
2: don't remember the... I remember the scene, but not the ice cream.
1: (laughs) Uh, And then, as a runner-up, Aaron mentions Paper Moon, where two lead characters try to settle a money dispute in an ice cream shop.
2: Um, Tatum O'Neill? And the other character? (laughs) Ryan O'Neill?
1: Walter Matthau and Tatum O'Neill, Paper Moon, right? She's a little precious girl?
2: Which one's the one where Albert Finney gets divorced?
1: From... That's called Modern Romance. Okay. I've had enough of you. <laughs> uh, Alexandra not... Rice as her number three and only pick. Um, there's a quote with cussing in it. Here we go. I'll get, read the quote. Every time he has ice cream for the... Every time... Oh, I do like this. This is awesome. Uh, Alexandra's pick... F... Uh, the quote is, every time he has ice cream for the rest of his life, he's going to see my fucking face. And uh, it is... She writes, it's not good enough to be a number one, it's a number three pick, but I don't really like ice cream, and I didn't really like this movie. But this is The Place Beyond the Pines. In this scene, the guy from Blue Valentine takes his illegitimate son out for ice cream. Ten years later, the kid is eating ice cream at the same ice cream shop, which surprisingly hasn't gone out of business, and he has some expression on his face that's reminiscent of deep contemplation of a father once lost. In the sequel, it will have been revealed that he hates ice cream too. I do love that scene. That's an awesome. That's one of the few bits I really, really liked from that movie. How can she not like ice cream? Kelly wants some people don't. Really? Is it just... Dairy? I, do, I don't believe you too. I just think it's... uh, it's some people just haven't found the flavor that will really get them into.
2: Yeah, it. I think that's true
0: too. Yeah. Mm.
1: Just... All right, runners up from you, gentlemen.
0: Uh, my only runner up is Jurassic Park. I can't believe it, nobody picked it.
1: Uh, oh that's right dingus explain the scene to us that's good
0: yeah when the kids finally make it back to the uh, the complex they raid the kitchen for food because they're starved and they're eating ice cream out of these huge gallon like five gallon whatever containers with big spoons and just chomping on it and smiling
1: wait a minute hold on hold on hold the phone dingus what isn't the famous scene though where she's eating jello she raises it up to her mouth and it's shaking. Oh, maybe it is. I thought they were eating ice cream. I think you're right, but I think they had to then sub in jello. Here's why Jurassic Park is unrealistic, is unbelievable. What kid with access to a bunch of ice cream would instead eat a spoonful of jello? Yeah, it definitely exactly. happened. That makes yeah. no sense. But I think you're right. I think it is. I do remember that about the ice cream, but now I'm remembering the famous scene where the blonde girl. Who is that blonde girl, by the way? Why hasn't she been in a bunch of movies? It's Emily Blunt. So not Emily Blunt,
0: but I think I Joseph Mazzello must have been eating ice cream
1: then. Why would she opt for Jello over ice cream? That makes no sense. Because that's the famous scene where she's holding the the spoonful of Jello and it quivers, and that right, you're well, right. Steven Spielberg thought that was so clever. But I do remember you're right. It's because the power is out and the ice cream is all going to go bad, so they're like, well, we might as well eat it all. Right. And I definitely remember that. But no, he had to. Steven Spielberg thought it would be really cute to have quivering Jello. <laughs> You hate – you are – you can't – no one can win with you. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) All right, I'm going to give you guys an opportunity to win. Tell me the ice cream reference because this was significant to me as a kid. Tell me the ice cream reference in Jaws. So uh, I'll give you a little clue. Huh. I I liked Jaws so much as a kid; It had such an impact on me. It made me try this ice cream, and it's one of my. I think it would be my favorite flavor. Uh, it, it well, so it, it definitely influenced me as a kid. It made me try an ice cream, and it, I think it's my favorite ice cream. All right, so this is really that's,
2: that's not a better hint than yeah. I
1: don't. I don't know. I just, yeah. okay. I just come just on. You guys been, know my min, favorite min, ice cream. Fuck min, Jaws. Min, Jaws. Yep. No, no, this is really obscure, but the ice cream reference in Jaws is after the beach scene. Cooper, where uh, no, no, where Brody has told his kids, you know, or his, his older son, take the sailboat in the pond, you know, I don't want you out on the, the main beach, and then the shark gets in the pond, it tips over the boat, it, it eats the not tying instructor, whoever that guy was, um, and uh, then his son, it, it swims by his son, his son is taken to the hospital in shock. And while he is in shock in the hospital, he's out of shock now, but he's in the hospital. Lorraine Gary is saying to him, uh, I'll bring you your cars from home for you to play with. Uh, I'll bring you some ice cream. What flavor do you want? And he says, coffee. He says, okay, coffee ice cream. <laughs> Just I remember as a kid thinking, they make ice cream with coffee? Gross. Well, it's in Jaws. I better try it. <laughs> then deciding I really like coffee ice cream. Dude, coffee ice cream kicks ass.
2: I know, doesn't it's it? It's so fucking great. I know, right? I don't remember that reference, but I, I, you know, I didn't need Jaws to like coffee ice cream.
1: But there's an ice cream. So Kellyanne, if i had given you a Jaws trivia question, that's a question you would have failed.
2: So no, 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 and I agree with you. I don't remember it existing that early in my life. Uh,
1: he definitely asks for coffee ice cream. No, no.
2: Yeah, but did did he, did Jaws invent coffee ice cream? Someone go? Did Benedict go? Hey, wait, that's not a bad idea. Is
1: Spielberg is a genius. No, I'm sure. Come on, get on baby. that, Johnny. Well, what happened is Starbucks eventually made it a you know Frappuccino which what you what call did, it. Did it's but Starbucks. Okay, ha- yeah, had coffee ice cream before Starbucks. Yeah, but Starbucks made like. Like, there's this whole school – like, going into Starbucks to get a Frappuccino is, like, this whole different way to experience what is essentially ice cream, No, I, I, I would assume. Yeah, it's, it's not, but with caffeine in it. What do you mean? Well, the thing is, you're an ice cream snob. I'm just saying yeah, so I am. something that, that, that has, like, that's basically chocolate ice cream or the equivalent. Uh, they they go in and they get a frappuccino or a mocha or whatever. I'm
2: an ice cream snob too. I'm with Dingus.
1: Dingus could could me one, but I, I I think it's the same kind of thing as instead of going to get an ice cream cone, people will go to Starbucks and get a frappuccino.
2: Yeah, but coffee ice cream is a delicious flavor. Like it's no one disputes that. It is ice cream. We,
1: High five, Caliwand, right here.
2: I eat the coffee ice cream over drinking coffee.
1: Um. Yeah. Well, you got it's it. it, it there's was a cool. lot of sugar involved. Like it's super sugary. It's just a good
2: like. I don't think coffee, the flavor when you drink coffee, is as good a flavor as it is in ice cream. I think it's better in ice cream. It's like Martin and Lewis, without.
1: I don't know who Ar- those are. <laughs> uh, so does this I'll count? Shake joke. All does right. This count someone. Uh, I think it was a friend of mine in Dingus's observed uh, that in the Dark Knight Returns poster, Batman looks like he's the ice cream. His ice cream cone fell. Because he's sitting there with his head down. and he, <laughs> The
2: yeah.
1: but so well, There's no ice cream that we know, but it does look like there's some on the ground that he just dropped.
2: Isn't the Joker created because he falls into a tub of ice cream in the Jack
1: Nicholson one? It's not canon.
2: No, it's ice cream.
1: <laughs> Other rudders up.
2: In See No Evil, Hear No Evil, um, with Gene Wilder as um, a deaf dude and Richard Pryor as a blind guy. Is that it? Richard Pryor gets the uptight Gene Wilder to embrace craziness, but when he puts ice cream cone on his head in his hair, see that's it's it's like when Billy Bob Thornton gets hit by airplanes for fun in pushing Tin.
1: is it better or worse than similar scenes in silver streak? Yeah. Uh, all right. Who's three by three is it next week? It is Dingus. dingus dingus. What should we be thinking about over the course of next week for the next 3x3? Three three? Or in Kelly's should, instance, just coming up with it at the last minute. Right, exactly.
0: You should be thinking of your three favorite <laughs> um, artworks and movies. Now, this can't be uh, written work, this, this is a graphical representation, thinking specifically like paintings and sculptures. What I would really like is, is an artwork created within the movie, but, um, but
1: I'll. Is that a mandatory requirement?
0: It is not a mandatory requirement. Uh, These are your three favorite artworks, and I'm talking about graphic representation, not something written. We've already done like writing and novels and whatnot. So these are your three favorite artworks in movies.
1: Can I take this opportunity to point out that Six Degrees of Separation is a play and not a movie? Yes, you can. Thank you. No, I don't want to hear anything about spinning Kandinsky's. All right. Okay, good. Uh, Kelly, do you have questions? Or anything you need to point out, or caveats. No? Good. Awesome. What about
2: natural beauty?
1: <laughs> Not an artwork. Oh, yeah. Fine. Uh, Wait, what about written things? Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't think Dingus addressed that. <laughs> 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 All right. Uh, and then next week we will be seeing... I don't know how I feel about this. Is it the same two guys, Dingus? 22 Jump Street? Do we know? Oh, yes. <laughs> same two guys. No, no 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 i don't mean i mean the 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 directors the guys who did the who did 21 jump street i don't I know hill and channing tatum
2: that was a monster hit well but haven't that.
1: they been busy doing the lego movie could they have also done 22 jump street do
2: and also some things are hits and then they just get like airplane was a hit and then they That's just true. get dipshits to do airplane
1: things too. do you remember their names i feel bad for not remembering them. chris something is one of it's Christopher miller and phil lloyd and is the, are they the twenty two are they in uh, Phil Lord, I'm sorry, not Phil Lloyd. I apologize. Uh yeah, they are the same guys. Awesome,
0: good. Then I am looking forward to the this. trailer felt like
1: Whoa whoa, Kelly Wand. Kelly, what do you, yeah, you don't give away things from like the trailer? Twenty two Jump Street? Uh, but the trailer's part of the movie.
2: It's part of the movie.
0: No,
1: it is That's not. That's why we don't want to it's, know it, because we're going to see the
0: movie. It's so parts gonna, of the movie. It's right. not part of the movie. It is part nah, of it. the movie. Because movies making fun of the fact that it exists.
1: Oh, whoa, 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 Just, Just stop, a stop, bit right of fast, stop right there. Stop right there, man. I'm killing about the first one. I'm, I'm, I'm telling the producer to kill your mic. Yep.
2: Yeah. <laughs> first you can't hear me. Now you hear me too
1: much. <laughs> yep. Fine. So join us for Twenty Two Jump Street. You know you're going to see it. So see it and listen to this podcast. And also send in your favorite artworks and movies. That, by the way, cannot be written artworks. We want some graphical representation, sculpture, painting, something like that. Um, may you know what? Maybe. And I'm just going to throw this out here. I hope it's okay, Dingus. To some people, architecture is artwork. Should I have said that or not said that, Dingus? What's your opinion? You said it. All right. I didn't say artwork. Good point. <laughs> Uh, and uh, could
0: have had a separate thing of favorite architecture, but then you you're going. What to about six
2: that. degrees
1: of architecture? <laughs> That's not a thing.
0: That's a play.
1: <laughs> uh, send your picks to three by three at quarter to three. That's the number three, the letter. Kelly, one actually, why don't you for once tell them the email address?
2: It's uh, absolutely not. No, it's <laughs> uh, remember that comic strip tumbleweeds.
1: Uh, probably.
2: Okay. Did it's, you get it, Tom? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Did you know Kelly can slow talk, Paul?
1: No one knows what you're talking about unless they heard the podcast for – gosh, I don't know what movie that was where that came up. I don't either. Probably not. That's a Paul Walker reference too, Kelly Wand. I'd like you to have some respect.
2: Uh, the email address is – Oh, you know
1: what? Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. That was not a Paul Walker reference. That was a, uh, an Adrian Paul reference when Kelly Wand made it about the flash speed talking. Who's Adrian Paul? Exactly, right? Who? I know. mm mm-hmm. <laughs>
2: <laughs> exactly right is a good
1: comeback. All right, so, Kelly Wand, give them the email address if they have some ideas for artwork and movies that, that they think it's a cool scene, it's a cool use of the artwork. Where should they send their pics, Kelly Wand?
2: They should send their pics to um, quarter to 3.com. Huh, I guess Kelly No, Wand wait, wait, I remember it, it now. It's three by three, the numeral three, and then an X, and then another numeral three, at quarter to three, all spelled out but as one word. It is a little convoluted, Tom. You have to admit, it. it's...
1: That's why we need you to tell them it.
2: Alright, so it's like numeral 3X, numeral 3 q u a r t e r t o t h r e e dot com. That now, yeah.
1: If you haven't figured it out from Kelly, while well, I'm spelling it for you, I don't know what to tell you. So yeah. send in your three by three picks. We would love to read them on the air. We hope you will see Twenty Two Jump Street because actually we love the first movie. We want the second one to be successful, even if it's bad. I think I can't even feel that. What? Way. Yeah. No. No. If it's bad, if it sucks, I still want. I. I want. The, I don't understand. <laughs> I want <laughs> Phil Lloyd or whatever uh, Chris.
0: Phil Lord and Christopher
1: Miller, Christopher Miller and Phil Lloyd to to just have money thrown at them and to be able to do whatever they want. So I hope all it's the piece of was... shit
2: you have to sit through that you hate.
1: You know, maybe I shouldn't say that. You know what? Yeah, you know, what? I still want people to see this. I want it to be successful. I love Channing Tatum in comedies. Uh, Jonah Hill, even if I find him really annoying, um, I lo- I love. By the way, I love how repentant he's been for calling. I assume he called a paparazzi guy a fggot. Like he he did some. Homophobic slur, and I love how, even though it's really funny when he makes fun of being gay or whatever in movies, I love how repentant he's being, uh, making the sounds about having used this, uh, in the, in the heat of the moment. Like that he's willing to joke about homosexuality, but that he's not willing to, but that he knows that it's inappropriate for someone in his position to use it out of anger. I love that he's doing that. So yes, see 22 Jump Street, support <laughs> the careers of the guys who's named Chris Lord and Spittles. point
2: homophobe, Tom, Fiddle just to filler.
1: Fill <laughs> See, that's the thing. Is, I don't think he's a hom- homophobe. He's clearly not. He he did this to a paparazzi and he knows it was inappropriate and rather than ignoring it, he's running around saying, you know what, as an asshole, you should totally be mad at me. I shouldn't have said that. I apologize.
2: Wait, as an asshole, you should be mad at me? No,
1: no. He's, he's saying, furthermore, use me as an I example. Use me as an
0: example. I mean, his, his uh, sincerity is... Yeah. It's undeniable. I mean, he's saying, use me as an example. I, I shouldn't have done this. I was wrong. He's, it's not a qualified apology. It's yeah, cool. well,
1: exactly. I'm,
2: I'm offended by his use of the word asshole. <laughs> as an asshole. As an, an ass ass asshole. myself, <laughs> I'm, I expect more repentance from that fucking fact.
1: <laughs> Kelly Wand. Oh, wait. What? Wow. Oh, I better write. I need you to make the rounds on the talk yeah. shows. The I want rounds. you to tweet your apology way, way inappropriate, Kelly Wand. And no more of uh, your Asian accent. Yeah. What? Look, that's not an Asian accent. Uh, my, your no. Australian accent is, is offensive to Australians. We'll have that's no... his Kevin Costner. <laughs> oh, I can't wait for another Kevin Costner appearance so Kelly Wong can do his get.
2: Ah, see, he made too many movies close together. In the I
1: know, outside. right? Yeah. Oh. It's a glut. Uh, so join us for that. I am Tom Chick. I have been joined by Christian Moroski. It's Christian Moroski. Mm, not how it's spelled. And Kelly Wong. No pun intended oh the music at the end of the podcast is totally screwed up that's fine i was was gonna do love me two times by the doors get it get it
2: yeah yeah although then you're defending the romance arc of the movie she's like yeah see that's how
1: you by the way i hope i hope uh i i want emily blunt movies to make lots of money (laughs) <laughs> even if they're terrible. doesn't need a and, and she's repentant. And everybody rent. Five-year engagement is so bad, I couldn't even watch it. Like, a lot of times I'll just have a crappy movie going on a on a window or whatever while I'm working. I put on five-year engagement. <laughs> weird, Even that, I could make it through 20 <laughs> minutes of that. And I was like, this is offensive. I'm turning it off. And that was poor little Emily Blunt.
2: What should I have on in the background when I write this review of enemy? Hmm. <laughs> Five year engagement.
1: Uh. Oh, it was so bad. Which one? Five year engagement. Oh. Did you see it, Kelly Wand? Dingus no. has seen it, I think. I don't see movies with fucking
2: okay, engagement in the title. Or time limits. That's not how I roll. Literally. <laughs> Dingus, you're my favorite on this podcast, and Tom's terrible. Uh, First of all, that was a terrific presentation. Terrific. (laughs) (laughs) What's that from? Exactly.
0: (laughs) Yeah.